Morgan went in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Bob, we're Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Riley Gates of 24-7 Sports. We will get Riley's takes on the Big 12 when it comes to expansion, a season preview ahead of 2022. And we will also thoughts on the Open Championship that is already underway by the time you're listening to this. And we'll talk about the Live Tour and more when Riley joins us coming up later on in the show. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our weekly draft segment. This week, we are drafting backup quarterbacks. And then at the end of the show, we'll have our Tom Fulbery story of the week. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. Tom, are you having a better week than Zach Wilson? Unfortunately not. Um, I think there's not a whole lot of people having a better week than him, considering that his ex was dating his best friend from college, and she tried to hoe on his ass, and he, you know, turned it around, and he said, well, you know, old girlfriend broke up with him supposedly because he was banging his mom's best friend. Uh, The internet ate it up as well as I did, and I think as well as you did. And I don't think a whole lot of people are having a better week than him. I mean, he turned around a bad situation. Bad situation, not only in that, but bad situation playing for the Jets in in, in terms of making people money. I mean, I think Barstool released a shirt that said, um, what did they say? Throwing bombs and banging moms. Has anyone gone from – the image of a 15-year-old kid to a man as quickly as Zach Wilson has this week? No, I don't know. You know, he didn't even go on a two-year mission for his Mormonism. Um, you know, he's uh, he's made the most of it. He didn't even have to go to Brazil. Right. Oh. Oh, I'm man, I'll probably, I'll probably get some flack for that, but that's okay. I welcome it. As what? long as they have hot moms. Was his mom's friend, do you think, like, he stared her down, like, growing up, and did he fantasize about this and then it came to life, or do you think this was, like, a new friend of his mom's? I think it was probably an old friend, and then the old friend was like, oh, well, son's kind of grown into his own and is now a shitty NFL quarterback. Um, You know, listen – the last person to have multiple kids or multiple affairs for the Jets, I believe, was uh, Revis Island. Yeah. And so uh, maybe maybe Zach Wilson is on the same path. You want to visit Wilson Island? Hope it's not like Epstein Island. Uh, well, no, no, no. It'd be the older version. <laughs> We're both going to hell now. Yeah, we are. Welcome to it. I'll save you a seat. Come along. Come right in, man. Oh, that is so good. Zach Wilson, that's an elite quarterback right there. For now, not in terms of play, but also if you want to look at it in terms of play, yes. What would your mother have said if you would have gotten friendly with one of her friends? You know, my mom is going to be 50. She's going to be 54, 
54 okay. this year. Okay. I think she's going to be 54. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Probably 54. Yeah, 54 this year. And, um, you know, I don't know. When she was probably 48, 40, 48 or 49, um, I wasn't talking to, but I had met up with a 42 or 43-year-old. She was pissed. Really? Um, oh, yeah. I met up with this 42 or 43-year-old at a concert. And got her number. It wasn't like seriously talking to her. It was sure. for, you know, it was for physical purposes only, um, to say the least. And my mom was not happy. She was very, she was, she was like, you bring her out here, you bring her to bars off, kicking her ass. You know, my mom's not a, my mom, my mom's not a Roy D. Mercer of, of sorts. So that said a lot. Now, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what Lisa Jones would say if you brought a, a 40 plus year old woman back when you, if you stayed in Tulsa, I don't, I don't think your mom would appreciate it very much, but um, she was pissed. Gosh, she was poor. She was real mad. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, and it wasn't my mom's friend. It was just some random girl I met in Tulsa. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sure Zach Wilson's mom is hot. Not hot in the way we want her to be, right? But hot in the in the thought of like you can't be doing this. Isn't this the best story to come out in a long time? Oh, it's it's by far the best. I mean, the Jets are the one of the shittiest franchises. I mean, um, everything about I, it, right? Jets quarterback, I, I, New I York won. second year quarterback. And the fact that he went to BYU as well. All of that is just great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only getting better. I won 100 bucks off the Jets last season of not winning five games. Um, uh, Another guy thought he was very high on Zach Wilson. He was not a Mormon. He still is not a Mormon. And he said, oh, the Jets are going to win five games or more. I said, well, I bet you they win five or or four or less. And he said, well, that's better. He said, let's bet on us at $100 that the Jets win four less games. Sure enough, they win four. And I won 100 bucks. So, I don't know. This season with the swagger that Zach Wilson has, I'd say probably the Jets maybe win six or seven. The Jets have to get some, like, mom cheerleaders now. It's required. Right. Give the they better not show up without them. Oh, my gosh. So good. We'll talk more about Zach Wilson later when Coach Bo joins us. Um, The Big 12, we are waiting just so patiently (laughs) to see what happens. Big 12 Media Day is going on here in Dallas right now, actually. And the new Big 12 commissioner uh, has been officially introduced, and he says that the Big 12 will be aggressive, that they are looking at expansion and kind of just waiting at that point from there. I mean, I'm at this point, Tom, when it comes to the Big 12 conference. Yes, they seem to be in the best of shape of the conferences not named the Big 10 or the SEC. 
but its future when it comes to expansion and adding teams and fighting for survival and continuing to put themselves in the best position to be proactive. I'm in the I'll believe it when I see it phase because we've seen this league make so many mistakes time and time again. And it's been two weeks now since USC and UCLA announced their moves and nothing's happened yet. Still waiting at this point here. I don't know what's going to unfold. I feel good about the Big 12, but we've been fooled before. I'm not getting my hopes up just yet on the future of this league being in good hands. It looks good right now, but let's see what this new commissioner could do, what kind of, what kind of action they could put into place. I heard him say in his introductory news conference that he wants this league to be more vibrant, more hip, more youthful. And I'm like, okay, I mean, let's, let's not go too far and make this conference cringy here. Yeah, I don't know how far that he's going to take it. Granted, this guy, this uh, Yorkham guy, was somewhat in charge of the Nets. Um, I don't know if he'll take the same approach as the Brooklyn Nets, but, you know, I, I think it's – Can you uh, make the Big 12 sexy? I don't think so. No, well, no. I, I don't think it's sexy. I do if you want to talk about – a term that you could get down with, I would say, I would I would compare it to electric. I do think it's going to be electric in terms of being across time zones. I think it's going to be one of those leagues that, well, we. <sighs> I'm going to knock on wood because I want them in there. I don't know if they will be. If we're going to talk about the most fun league, it's going to be the Big 12. If we want to talk about the league that's going to end up winning the national championship or even actually being in the playoff, I don't necessarily know that if it's going to be the Big 12. I'm going to knock on wood, like I said, knock, knock, knock. Um, I do think in terms of watching it, though, in terms of game competition and fun, fun being – it's the fourth quarter and it's a three-point game. I think you're talking about the Big 12. Right. You know, it, it, it might not be the, the best league, but in terms of watching it, uh, if you're a neutral fan, I think it's going to be the most fun league. Is there ever going to be a point, though, where you get morale going, add the right teams, get excitement, where your members are proud of this league? like? You know, if you're in the SEC, I know we kind of laugh about the SEC chant, but all 14 of those members are proud to be a part of the SEC, even if they're Arkansas or Vanderbilt who just, you know, aren't carrying their weight in their league at times. You know, they, they, they wear that SEC mantra with pride. You know, the Big Ten even, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, there's, there's a lot of pride that comes with the Big Ten Conference. With as dysfunctional as this league is, I don't know if you can salvage the brand appeal of sorts of this league like what the new Big 12 wants to do here. No, I think absolutely you have to start not. a new identity. You almost have to start over in a sense. Like if you add teams 
and you go beyond 12 teams, I think you change the name and you start over and, and give this thing a fresh start. I mean, your identity is so dysfunctional. I don't know if you want to carry that weight into the future. No, I, you know, and I don't think they will. I don't know what will change from the Big 12 in terms of names, but, you know, the new players in the league, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a pride issue by any means. To, to be fair, and you can quote me on this, quote me on this, anybody listening, I'll put $20 down against you uh, that one of the new four does not win the Big 12 next year or in the, in the first year in the conference. Um, I don't know if there's going to be pride involved. I just know I would, I would bet on it being electric and I, that's not a measurable, you know, you know, a lot of, a lot of people say, well, scientifically, you know, you have to put a number down, you have to make it measurable. And, and I don't think with these new players, I don't think there's going to be a measurable difference. I really don't. Um, but in terms of hype, in terms of, get up I do think it's going to be a little more interesting you know I I, I don't know Jones you tell me when AM and in Colorado and Nebraska left we thought well okay you know it might be a little bit more interesting and then TCU came into play I thought TCU was very interesting I thought West Virginia was very interesting I mean if you if you remember um before West Virginia was fucking mediocre. You had Geno Smith. You had Tavon Austin. You had, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Stedman, um, out receiver. I mean, West Virginia had some players that were very electric. Pat McAfee. Uh, I mean, Tavon Austin got drafted like seventh, eighth overall. Slayton, Owen Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were very electric. Um, and I don't know what Houston, I don't know what Cincinnati, I don't, you know, and, and maybe the lesser of it's going to be UCF. And I don't know what BYU has to bring to the table. But I do know in terms of newer conference realignment before everybody else gets crazy, it's going to be something to watch. I mean, these are the teams that we have not seen play each other or be able to create rivalries through in-game shenanigans. In a long time, you know, if you remember, you want to compare it to the NBA uh, when both teams were very good. The Jazz and Oklahoma City talked a whole lot of shit between each other, and it was almost understood that the next season it would be very heated. I do think that we could see that in the Big 12, not necessarily in terms of, okay, well, we're both, you know, vying for playoff competition or playoff contention uh but in terms of hatred in terms of newfound hatred uh in terms of rivalries i really do think we could see some shit i really think we could see ucf and byu having just a a weird hatred for each other the same way the oklahoma city and the utah jazz did um it doesn't have to be those two teams it could be utah or no sorry it could be well i mean you want to talk about extension you could talk about utah too but you could talk about Tech and Houston just randomly getting into it. And then, you know, when the first game is played, if it's close or if it's a blowout either way, you could you could you could almost throw in some, well, if there was some stank on the end of it, you could vie for the next season being some hatred or some 
uh, rivalry. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be rivalry right away, but the beginnings of rivalries could happen when conference realignment happens. And I think from my end of things, when you think about the new Big 12, that is very exciting. I think it's very exciting. I want to see hatred. I don't know about you, Jones. I want I want to see some some middle fingers. I want to see some. I'm gonna we're gonna run it down your throat. I want to see we'll beat your ass for the next five years until we break up and one of these teams moves to SEC. I I love that type of thing. Yeah, I do too. There's potential for all of that. Um, you know this idea of the Pac-12 schools, and I'm not even talking about Oregon and Washington right now, just the four of Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. If those four join the Big 12, I think what you would be looking at as far as your program hierarchy in the Big 12 at that point, Baylor and OSU would be 1A and 1B. Maybe a slight edge to Baylor because they've won more conference titles and had more recent success. But OSU has been consistent for a longer stretch of time, if that makes sense. Um, but then after that, I mean. Oh, you would take Utah and BYU. Can you imagine a Big 12 Holy War? Holy shit. No pun intended. I mean, after you get Oklahoma State and Baylor. Your hierarchy beyond that, Utah's up there, Arizona State's up there, um, TCU. Be TCU, very interesting what TCU State. does. I mean, it, it Be very does. interesting what Let TCU does post-Gary. Let me finish for a second. Slow down, Tom. You're going ahead of yourself. Um, I think that Oklahoma State and Baylor sit atop, but not – mountain pillars by any means i don't think that you have a big gap i think that you have a league potentially every year in a 16 team conference of eight teams that all have a shot at the conference football title realistically eight teams at that point recruiting very similar i mean I think we're going to see a shift in recruiting. Already had this direction where almost all your five and four stars are going to go to Big Ten and SEC schools. And then after that, everyone's going to be comp- competing for those borderline four and three star players in the Big 12, the ACC, whatever the pack is at that point. And the gap is not going to be much between your Baylors of the world compared to your Arizonas or your BYUs compared to your Cincinnati's. Um, It it is going to be very fascinating to see all this plays out. The branding, the identity of this league, still a ways to go, still a lot to do on the marketing and selling points, but I'll say this, Brett uh, Warmack, uh, the new Big 12 commissioner, hasn't even officially started yet. His start date's August 1st. At this point in time, he has said all of the right things. Let's see what action they actually do. But everything right now, and I have my fingers crossed when I even say that, everything appears to be on track, but let's see how it all finishes. 
I'm very interested too. I think he will do a good job. Uh, you mentioned three and four stars after the four and five go to the Big 12, or not the Big 12, but the SEC and the Big 10. Um, I don't know. As a biased fan, I like Oklahoma State's chances in terms of what they've done from lower stars. They've never been a team that really gets the big five, four or five stars, and what they've ended up working with has worked very well. Um, so I, I think they're maybe in a bigger position, but you could even say the same thing for Baylor um, as far as the Big 12 goes. Um, be very interested. Like I said, I'm, I'm still very interested in the robberies that could occur. Sure. Um, Realistically you know, speaking, it is going to be difficult to imagine any of the new Big 12 members winning national championships in football. Very difficult. It's tough as is already right now. We haven't seen a Big 12 team win a football national title since Texas did in 2005. That's very true. I mean, Um, yeah. But you're still going to be good, maybe not great, and you're going to be, I think, solid in all the other sports, especially college basketball. You'll probably be the best basketball conference out there. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you trade off for a little bit when you first force the trade OU in Texas? Um, what you get back in return even strengthens what we already know is the toughest basketball conference in the nation. So, you know, what's basketball is 2.0, you know, it's not the first out of the gate. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't think we're too far off from seeing a big 12 team win it. Um, only because we've, you know, what have we seen? We've seen Ohio state. We've seen Alabama. We've seen. See, I disagree. I think we're a long ways from that. Um, I I mean, it's only going to get worse with Big Ten and SEC schools getting all the four and fives. The talent gap is only going to get worse. I don't. I still. I. I I still. I don't necessarily wholeheartedly disagree with you. Um, I think as 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 far as odds go, I think we are. I, I think within the next five to six years. We see a Big 12 team upset somebody or, or pull it off. I, I really mean, do. You cannot win a national title without top 10 recruiting classes. And no one in that Big 12, that new Big 12, is going to be pulling in top 10 recruiting classes on the rig. That's not happening. You don't, um, think, you don't think in the 14 playoff they could pull it off? No. No way. Absolutely not. I think there's a possibility. No Big 12 championship on the national title since 05, and that was Texas. You're telling me that OU doesn't have a chance this year? OU's bringing in top 10 recruiting classes. So outside of OU, Texas, you think Texas has a better shot to win a a national championship than the rest of the Big 12 not name OU? In the foreseeable future? Absolutely. I don't believe it. For the next few – Next several years, yeah. I mean, to bring it in the best quarterback in the country in this class and in next year's class, Texas is going to be recruiting a lot better than what's left of the Big 12. Well, right? with that said, with that said, obviously Texas will be playing in the Big 12 this year and probably most likely next year, and then maybe a buyout happens. Where do you, you know, just on an offset, where do you think Texas finishes this year? Arguably. I think Texas is going to be improved. They were a five-win team last year. I think they're about an eight- or nine-win team this year. So you're saying um, four? 
quad. I mean, they, they still got a ways to go. I think we are going to see improvement. Ewers, I think, is going to be the best quarterback in the conference. You uh, think, are you thinking fourth? Or are you thinking higher? I think that puts them maybe you know third, fourth, fifth around that range. Yeah, this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna say fourth. Yeah. I mean, the thing with Texas, before we move on talk NBA here real quick, I'll say this. With Texas, everything is there except the coach. I mean, and Sark could be that guy, but the jury's still out. I mean, you're bringing in great recruits, the facilities. You're headed to the best conference in the country. Everything's in place. They just got to figure out the coach. That's easier said than done, but that's that's all that's left for Texas at this point. So, in your mind, you think Sark is the guy or no? See, jury's still out on that. I have my doubts on Sark, but – You give him, like, two more years? If I, – I, I can't stand this guy, but he's just the first name that came to mind. You put Urban Meyer at Texas – Texas wins national titles. I need to see I need to see a season from Texas where they still maybe lose two games to beat both Oklahoma State and OU. Yeah. That's that's my ticket. If Sark can do that this year, if Sark can win Red River and then beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater, I might start being a believer. If if they hired Urban Meyer tomorrow, would you believe in, in in Texas? Would you think that he could get it done? I still need to see the product on the field. Not in the first season, I wouldn't believe. Like even even with even with Quinn Ewers or Archie Manning. That's all it it's, is. It's, for me, is getting it's, the it's right. Been, it's been too long. It's been too long. They fucked around for too long. I need to see it. I need I need to see the record. I need to see it happen and then i'll believe it's just been like what like eight seasons since they've done shit made it longer than that you're not wrong but i'm telling you the thing that's missing is the coach and they haven't yeah i'd be i'd be more i'd be more apt to believe if that makes sense sure i'd be more apt to be like oh okay well they got this person now i i would be more and i'm not a fan of texas at all i've always root for their failure but if they did get Urban Meyer, it's either going to be – it's kind of like KU with less miles. It's kind of like it's either going to be a winner or a loss. Um, same kind of coach in Urban Meyer. It's like, well, you know, you have this guy now. What's going to end up happening? Uh, Urban Meyer could make a huge positive impact or he could even uh, backpedal Texas further than they already are, I think. Right. That's uh, the thing. They are just a coach away. Everything else is in that in place for that program to be successful. But they have missed and missed and missed on hiring coaches. I don't know if they got it right with Sark or not. Jury's still out. But that's what it comes down to is just getting the right coach for Texas. Alabama, Alabama is their first opponent this year? Uh, week two. What do you think happens? I think Alabama's going to kill them. Well, I mean, I think everybody thinks Alabama's going to win, but – what what's the score differential in your mind? I'm gonna go Alabama sixteen and a half. I think that's silly to be talking about that right now, but I mean but that's fair. Close. We got other things to get to. We got plenty of time to talk about that game later. Let's, let's hear it. Let's talk about the NBA now. Donovan Mitchell is potentially on the market, being shopped. We already know that the Jazz moved on from Rudy Gobert. 
we know about Brian Windhorst and his and his great memes. He broke the internet last week. I, I, I was happy for Windy getting that time last week. But nonetheless, Donovan Mitchell, names that have come up include the Heat, the Nets, the Knicks. Um, Tom, here, here's my take for you. Um, I'd rather have Donovan Mitchell than Kevin Durant right now. I think he could be a great piece for somebody. Take a team like Miami, who might be a player or two away. That, that to me, if you're in the trade market, if you're looking to make moves, I know everybody's focused on KD. The guy I'd be trying to get right now is, is Donovan Mitchell. That's the guy I'd be trying to trade for. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I think for the Heat, Kyle Lowry was a missed assignment or a missed opportunity or maybe not the opportunity that they expected. And I think if you could go get Donovan Mitchell for not a whole lot, uh, especially from the Jazz that have kind of already committed to rebuilding, um, I think if you could pull it off before anybody else offers or anybody else makes a big deal, then, oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, I, I think Donovan Mitchell's ready to get out of Salt Lake City. Uh, I still think he has a lot to offer. You know, when you talk about Kevin Durant, um, whatever the Nets are going to offer, with, you know, that'll be Kevin Durant and probably that's it. It'll be Kevin Durant for, from what we understand, at least four first-round picks. I, I think the, you know, for a team like the Miami Heat, you think, well, we don't necessarily need Kevin Durant to solve problems. We don't need to go 120% when we can go 105% in Donovan Mitchell. And I, I think Donovan Mitchell would be a great fit in Miami. And um, it really, for a lot of teams, I think Donovan Mitchell would be a great fit if you are on the edge of contending. Uh, I think Spida is a, is a, is a great ad addition. And then if, you know, if here's the thing, went, went full bone, then yeah, sure. Here's the thing. Now, I believe most of the time that, when it comes to these trades, the winner of the trade is usually the one that gets the elite player. But whether it's Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant, either one, in both of their trades, because they're not being looked at as free agent signings, because they would both be traded, you are going to have to give up something significant, possibly even players here. And obviously that's how trades work. So, so a team that is a player or two away, let's just say for all intents and purposes, a Donovan Mitchell away, you're going to have to get very creative to not give up too much where you're not a contender, that you're still good with Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant, um, and then also still have to make the money work too, salary cap and all that wise. Um these deals, I, I think, for Mitchell and for Kevin Durant both, are not going to be done un overnight trying to make your assets still be a viable team and also still make your money work for you too. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I did see a just saying on it. It's obviously all bull BS, but I, I did see a trade on Twitter that had, like, Miles Turner and Donovan Mitchell – and Michael Bridges going to the Nets, Kevin Durant going to uh, the Suns, and I think, I forget who, going to the, maybe the Heat. 
uh, I'm looking for right now. But and then there was like a, a multitude of draft picks um, going to the Pacers and to maybe the Suns. But uh, there's a way to work it out. I you know for what the Nets have offered for KD being 34. You know, he's got four years left on his contract. I think you enter into a Chris Paul sort of mindset, which Chris Paul's not been bad for the Phoenix Suns, even though they're paying him a hell of money. I, I think with the injuries to KD and just his, you know, unwillingness to say, oh, I want to trade. Like, he's, he's still has four years on his contract for the Nets. So, well, okay, I want to trade. And it's like, well, do you want to take on that personality or not? Um, mix that with, you know, you know, you can mix that with a Booker. You know, and that other trade I mentioned previously would have Aiden going to the Pacers in a side and trade. But, and I think Aiden's still already gone despite how far we've come in free agency. But uh, I, I think to take on KD, it's obviously you have to be a win now team. And I think, honestly, the only team that right now that is a suitor for Kevin Durant, other than obviously the Nets, would be the Suns in terms of a win-now team. Right. Uh, but then now, that's the, the only way. With make... Booker and all that, things get complicated. Yeah, that's the there... only way. With the Lakers, too, and Kyrie, like, like the, only, the only sense that Kevin Durant makes on another team right now, in my opinion – and I think a lot of people would agree with me, is the Suns, but for how much? Right. Is there any scenario where Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant potentially pair up, whether it's no. a, a three-team trade or they're both there in Utah? Is there any possibility of those two playing together? No, I think I think with the, with the removal of one, Quinn Snyder, like I don't think even Utah has a coach right now. Um, Quinn Snyder would have been the best to do it. He's gone. I think he's going to take the year off. Um, or, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what Quinn Snyder is going to do, but he's not going to be the head coach of the Jazz. Um, with with how volatile Kevin Durant is, the Jazz are going to be in the same position, or I think they're very, very, very late in terms of Victor Wimbanyama. Um, that sweepstakes with the, with the Thunder and the Spurs and maybe even Orlando. We'll see, you know, Orlando shut down Pablo Bonchero, Boncaro, um early in the summer league. I, you know, I, I don't see the Jazz doing that, but I, you know, now that they're shopping Mitchell, maybe. Uh, but that, you know, you, you look at the Jazz Jones, and they're in the same position that the Spurs are in right now with Mitchell on the team. You know, like, Spur, or you know, I don't know. It's it's you could you could toss it up, and in, in in my opinion, and I'm a little biased. Mitchell on the Jazz is just as good as Murray is on the Spurs, in my opinion. Without Gobert for agree. Mitchell, without Mitchell or without sorry, without Gobert for Mitchell to have that pick and roll option, that high and low, I I think that affects Mitchell to the point where. Uh, you know, where, you know, Murray had Pirtle, Yaka Pirtle, but it, it wasn't the same. And and so at that point, I, th I think Murray and Mitchell are the same um, without Gobert on the Jazz. And I think the Jazz probably understand that at this point. And I think that's, Jones, why we're seeing all these rumors or even credible reports for shopping Donovan Mitchell. 
Um, I, I yeah. think that's the point I, that I we're think in. Donovan Mitchell's a top 10 player in the league, personally. Uh, I like him. I have a jersey. I have his jersey. I, I, I love Donovan Mitchell. I love his game. I, I think he could easily be shopped, and, and I, I think a team on the edge of contention that could add that other piece. You know, I don't think the Celtics are going to be able to add him necessarily, but I think another team like maybe the Celtics, uh, maybe in the East could, you know, you know we, may, we mentioned the Heat. Can you imagine D. Mitchell with Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, uh, I don't know if they'll bring back Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, and you know, and and maybe that route is cool, especially with a coach like Eric Spolstra, is probably pretty good. You ship out Kyle Lowry in that fell experiment, like Jones. I don't know who who's your favorite team in terms of like where you would see Donovan Mitchell. I, I hate to say it because it's very. I think it's the cliche. Miami. To me, I think that one the is the one that makes the most sense to see in in Miami because they are very close. We know that they're willing to make some moves, willing to be aggressive. To me, the Heat seem to be the obvious choice of those that could potentially make a move. But we'll see what happens. That's so. that's the turning point. Yeah, it that's is. the turning point for them. If they get Donovan Mitchell, they might become the favorites in the Eastern Conference. They should be. Yeah, I think so. Coming up next, Riley Gates joins us, 24-7 Sports. Later on, Coach Bo is here for the Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Our draft this week, drafting backup quarterbacks. We'll also talk about the Open Championship, Live Golf, and our Tom Fulry Story of the Week. All that more coming up. Stay with us here at the Jones Report. Joining us now, the Jump Sport this week is our friend Riley Gates from 24-7 Sports, who covers about anything and everything, and we're excited to have him join us uh, here on the show this week. But before we get to the business of the day, Riley, uh, first off, congrats. Uh, you're an engaged man now. Uh, big, big congrats to you and, uh, and, and your fiancé there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty good year, and uh, getting around to – we get around to doing that. So I'm looking forward to the next nine months or so and seeing kind of how that all unfolds. <laughs> and uh, how'd, you, how'd you do the proposal? I got to know, how'd you pull this one off? Yeah, went up to, we were in Minnesota. Our family has a lake house up there. Um, it's in Alexandria, Minnesota, if anyone knows where that is. Uh, it's like two hours from Minneapolis. So we were up there and uh, her grandma and her grandpa usually kind of, they had this bench out on the, uh, out on the dock by their by their house that they always sat in and uh her grandpa's passed away by now but her grandma's still there so we kind of went up there we were like pretending to you know take pictures or whatever before dinner it's kind of a nicer dinner we were going to so we were dressed up and uh did it out there had a photographer on a boat coming by so that kind of was caught her off guard a little bit and uh yeah it's good to get that out of the way now i don't have to worry about it so <laughs> awesome that is, uh, that's really cool, Riley. Certainly happy for Thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, I got to got to get your thoughts. Let's start out on uh, this this realignment front of all that's gone down the last couple of weeks with USC and UCLA making the, the move to the Big Ten. About two weeks ago, uh, this all happened, and we're still kind of playing the waiting game at this point. What's uh, what's your initial reaction to where things stand right now as uh, we're kind of just waiting around here? Well, ironically, I was driving up to Minnesota when that all went down. So that was quite a shock to hear when I was listening on the radio. 
and that came across the the waves. So uh, that definitely caught me off guard. But uh, yeah, it's it's just definitely um, obviously not something you expect just because of the regional locations. Obviously, with college football, um, you don't expect many big uh, conference realignments like that anywhere really across the country. And then going from California to possibly as far east as you know Piscataway, New Jersey for for Rutgers, it's kind of crazy to think about that. But uh, um, you know, just the surface of it. I mean, I, I get it. I understand why they're doing it. It's very clear which way college football's headed or college sports in general, but, but obviously football being the driver, it's, it's clear that those two, uh, the, the SEC and the big 10 are going to kind of be the money makers or the, the big dogs of the, uh, in the hunt. And so you want to get into the nice, into the sturdy ship while you can. And so I don't blame USC and UCLA for taking it. Um, it's just an unfortunate situation because it really is. I mean, I think calling it the death of college football or the death of college sports might be a bit dramatic, but it's it's definitely changing the way that we look at it. And it's not the same college football that, you know, you and I grew up loving um, watching every Saturday and that type of thing. So it's it's different. And now we sit like you said, we sit and wait. We see what Oregon and Washington do. Obviously, they want to go to the Big Ten, but those invites might not come. We see where the Big 12's at. I think the Big 12's definitely going to add a couple teams, if not maybe like four or five teams. So um, I think it's just a matter of time on that one. But uh, lots of big changes coming on. And I I do think that this is probably the end of the Pac-12 as we know it, just because that was a conference already kind of hanging on by a thread. Yeah, I I agree. And one point that you bring up as far as the the death of college football as we know it or or whatever you want to call it, what, what I find interesting is, you know, the, the, the million-dollar question, is this all good for the sport or not? When I, I look at – I know that you're in the same boat. You know, I, I love college football and, and everything about it, but we'd be lying to ourselves if we said that everything as status quo was okay with getting Alabama in the title game almost every year and the semifinals had just been terrible. This sport obviously needs some changes – but I don't necessarily think that the changes we're seeing are, are the right ones for getting this thing in the right direction. Well, right. And I mean, you can say like, oh, this this kind of changes the way that the the landscape will be. But somebody still has to be Vanderbilt. You know, somebody still has to be the the Kansas of the Big 12. Like it's just going to like there's not everybody's going to be competitive at some point. And just because you're expanding the SEC or you're expanding the Big 10, it doesn't mean that Alabama isn't going to run college football still. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. They're going to have some more competition, obviously, but they're still going to be Alabama and Clemson's still going to be Clemson, obviously, you know, when they're back on track, Ohio state's still going to have a a lot of talent. And so I don't, like you said, I don't really think that's necessarily the way it needed to go about being fixed. Um, But Pandora's box is open now. And, you know, we've seen just last year we saw the big 12 kind of looking like it was going to collapse and, and fall apart. So we've seen those schools have that scare. Now we see the PAC 12 in a very bad situation and possibly the ACC gets there. So you're never really safe if you're kind of on the outside right now. Um, And I think a lot of teams are looking for that, that security blanket, you know, they don't want to be next July. Oh, now it's our league that we're going down and we got to jump onto the first life raft that comes out. So it's just it's kind of unfortunate because you never know when the next shoe's going to drop. Like we know that USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Cool, that's great. We've all accepted it. When does the next big thing happen? You know what what comes next? And that's just kind of what we sit on the edge of our seats waiting for right now. 
Right. And as far as sitting there and waiting at this point, there's still more dominoes to fall, obviously. But even if things just stayed completely status quo as is, which they won't, but if they did, my, my, my fear, Riley, is no matter what, that the Big Ten and the SEC, it does not matter if they create their own league or not, they are going to be viewed in the way that we view the Power Five now, and then everyone else is going to be the have-nots. It, it, it feels like that what you think of the American Athletic Conference and those are going to be any league not named the SEC or Big Ten at this point. Well, yeah, and I mean, whether or not that's right, you know, I mean, the Big 12 is obviously going to have some some big hitters still, but no, you know, ESPN's not going to look at the Big 12 the same. Fox Sports doesn't really care about K-State and West Virginia playing on a Saturday. They'd rather have, you know, Michigan and, and UCLA's game on, on their TV. And so it's, it is going to be that, like you said, you are still the smaller fish in the pond. You are the teams that, oh, your fans care about you. Maybe the local rivals care about you, but the big dogs in the sport that, that really matter, they don't really care about you unless you are going undefeated in the big 12 and you're making a push towards the playoff. But we could see that path to to the championship obviously get a little bit changed. We don't know what's going to happen. Like it could end up being the whole two super conference things that just end up playing for a championship of their own. Um, we don't really know which way this is going to go, and so it's kind of tough to to feel good about where you're at, even if you are the Big Twelve that's adding right now. You know, UCF, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and then could still go add Arizona, Arizona State. Utah, Colorado. So while it feels like the trajectory is going up, you're still one step behind the rest of the pack. And that's kind of a, a tough thing, I think, for football fans, because no matter how good this league can get or how good the ACC might get at some point, you're never going to be considered up there. Right, right. We're joined by Riley Gates, 24-7 Sports here on the Jones Sport this week. Riley, uh, let, let me ask you now, as far as the Big 12's future goes, new commissioner coming in. We heard from him for the first time today at Big 12 Media Days, and he's been very open. The Big 12 wants to be proactive, that they are open to expanding and look at those options. But I've seen my heart's been broken on this several times before. I'm at a point, Riley, I'll believe it when I see it as far as the Big 12 being aggressive. I would like to think it's true, but they got to get something done first. Yeah, you know, they do. And that's the thing is, how can you trust anything at this point when, I mean, we're not talking a week after USC and UCLF, we're talking a day, two days after they left or announced that they're going to leave that we heard, oh, as soon as tomorrow, we could see the Arizona schools and Utah announce they're going to the Big 12. Well, obviously that can's been kicked down the road now and the Pac-12 sitting here waiting to figure out what they're going to do. So you can't tell me that the Big 12 is is at the top of these schools' wish lists. Like, if they had to decide between the Big 10 and the Big 12, they'd obviously jump at the first chance they could at the Big 10 right now. So whereas the Big 12 stock is going up and, and you're feeling a lot better than you were literally a year ago today when Texas and Oklahoma were headed out, I mean, like this week a year ago today, you feel a lot better, but you can't feel great right now because until you, like you said, until you see it, until it becomes more than just, talking heads contemplating what could go down nothing nothing set in stone and so i do think that adding the arizona schools adding utah football for sure would be great for the big 12 but it, it is tough to get excited about it until you see it actually happen on paper right right uh all those schools you mentioned those pac-12 schools 
if they're able to bring those guys in, the Big 12 would be the first conference in every time zone. Right now, the Big Ten's not in the mountain time zone, right now anyway. Um, with that said, would, would, would you get excited about those guys in the Big 12? What do they bring to the table besides time zones, markets? Uh, do you think they would fit in with what's left of this Big 12 conference now? I think Arizona, Arizona and Arizona State definitely would. Um, just something about them kind of feel – it feels like they, they are kind of on that same level of, hey, we're, we're a respectable program, respectable school, but we're just not quite SEC tier or anything like that. Plus, it opens up great avenues for recruiting uh, for all the other schools in the conference. Obviously, you don't want to your own state getting poached, but it'd be a lot easier for, for K-State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, whatever, to go into Tempe or go into – you know, Tucson, whatever, and go pull recruits. So I think that would be good. Um, I think Utah is a pretty solid one. And definitely right now, I mean, Kyle Whittingham has that thing rolling. Uh, and Utah's obviously a Pac-12 contender on a yearly basis. I, I, bringing Colorado back um, is definitely, I mean, I know a lot of people, the traditionalists, they want that. They want the old big eight teams as much as they can. They want the rivalries back. And, and I get it. Um, and it's better to have more teams, obviously, right now than it is less teams in your conference. Personally, like if you're just asking me, take off my my uh, analyst hat or whatever. I think I think the Big Twelve could tell Colorado to kick rocks because <laughs> you're you're kind of going. I mean, it is. I, a I, lifeboat, essentially. Yeah, I say it to be funny, but I also say it to be serious. Like they left you because they thought you were going down, and now they're just jumping right back at the opportunity because what they thought was greener pastures is not exactly as green as they thought. I mean, yes, it's going to make sense in the long run. If they add them, I'm not going to sit here and like throw my arms up and in, in disgust if they go back and add Colorado again. But uh, I just, I, I don't necessarily am not dying to see them in the big 12. So um, I think they could go that way. I don't, I don't see a scenario in where Oregon and Washington end up in the big 12. I just, it's very tough for me to envision that even if they don't get the big 10 offer as quickly as they want, because obviously there is a, an upper tier of PAC 12 teams. And I think that they're in it um, and they're brands, you know, they're good brands that people will want, whether it's this summer, next summer, or the summer after that, whatever it is. So I don't think that those two schools will really jump at an opportunity to go uh, end up in the big 12. So you guys at 24-7 Sports are known for your crystal ball predictions and everything over there. So, Riley, uh, you're touching your imaginary crystal ball right now. The year is 2024, and USC and UCLA have already departed for the Big Ten. What does the Big 12 look like? Is Oklahoma and Texas, are they still hanging around for one more year? Uh, we know the new members are on their way. Are there more coming? What does this league look like, you think, by now? I think Oklahoma and Texas are gone. I, I don't see him waiting until 25. I think someone buys him out, no matter how astronomically high that number is going to be. I think the check gets written. So I think they'll be gone by then. Um, I think Arizona and Arizona State will be either in the Big 12 or will have agreed to join the Big 12. Um, I And I think Colorado is for sure. I, I do think they will take Colorado back. Um, and I, I think that they'll kind of, you know, bridge that gap out West uh, and try to kind of spread the, the league out a little bit more. I think, I think Oregon and Washington end up in one of those other two, whether it is the SEC or the the big 10, you know, I know the SEC said they want to stay at 16. 
they obviously have the leverage. They don't have to go after these schools, but um, more the better, especially if you can add Oregon and, you know, the Nike money and all that stuff. So I think that they could end up in the SEC easily. I think they'll go to one of those two. And as for the rest of the Pac-12, man, I don't really know what happens to that because, I mean, I would guess that they get absorbed by somebody. You can't really make your own league with Stanford, Cal, you know, like those it's Oregon state, like that's not going to be an enticing conference, but I don't really know where they go because um, I mean, unless the big 12 became another super conference and they had 20 to 24, like we might see the big 10 get, but I, I do think for sure, Arizona, Arizona state and, and uh, Colorado will be, have agreed to join the big 12 at least by then. That's my prediction. All right. Uh, what about this year's league? Uh, with media days going on, poll came out that Baylor is the uh, favorite, according to the media, to win the Big 12 this year. Vegas, though, according to Caesars, has Texas as the favorites to win the Big 12. <laughs> Oklahoma, their streak ended after six straight last year. Does this thing feel pretty wide open to you, Riley? How do you feel about the uh, Big 12 going into uh, 2022? I mean, it's obviously the most wide open it's been in set six, seven years, whatever, since – kind of Oklahoma really took the took the conference over um, last year obviously showed that it's not always just Oklahoma and so I think that this year um, is definitely going to be a lot more open it I think Oklahoma is going to be a good team um, I think Brent Venables is a is a really good coach and um, I think he'll probably have success as a head coach but I do think this year is going to be quite a transition just because he's a not an offensive coach and b has never been a head coach so he's obviously going to have to learn um, and we'll see how Dylan Gabriel adapts to the Big 12. So while I might have to pick Oklahoma, you know, possibly to be the champ, and I'm not saying they are my my predicted champion right now, but a lot of people would pick Oklahoma and for good reason. But I, I don't think it's as as much of a lock as some people would think. And but also outside of that, I, I can't really point to a team that I can say is really pushing them as hey, they should be the favorites. Like even Baylor being the the defending champions, like they don't have the the solid quarterback uh, situation that a lot of teams would or a lot of people think they have. I mean, I know Dave Aranda picked Blake Shapin to be the, the the starter over Gary Bohannon, and he feels good about where he's at. But that was the second half of the season thing. It really wasn't a full twelve game gauntlet on him, and I'm I'm interested to see how he handles that. Oklahoma State should Oklahoma State should be good. Oklahoma State, there's zero reason they shouldn't be in the Big Twelve title game. But I think Spencer Sanders is possibly the most talented quarterback in the Big 12 and is one of the most inconsistent quarterbacks in the Big 12. You just never really quite know if you're getting great Spencer Sanders or if you're getting average Spencer Sanders. So, yeah, it's definitely open. Um, everybody's mentioning K-State right now as a dark horse with, you know, their big Adrian Martinez guys. And um, obviously Deuce Vaughn is going to give him a boost. I'm still a little hesitant on Adrian Martinez at, as a case, as a K State graduate, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that he proves me wrong. That guy turns the ball over a lot. Yeah, as as someone that watched a lot of Nebraska football in the last two years, for some reason I did that to myself. Uh, he's got a lot of holes, man, and he has a, a really strong likelihood that he's going to be injured uh, at some point in the season. So I, I think K State has a lot of pieces, but they really need to to lock down the quarterback spot. So yeah, it's it's a it's a wide open race. I think it's wide open, but I think we'll, we'll learn very quickly in the season. Hey, these are the contenders. These are the pretenders. Here's who we can actually take serious. 
You mentioned K-State as a surprise team. One team that, that caught my eye, uh, Riley, is, is West Virginia. Neil Brown, kind of a make-or-break year for him. I really love the addition of JT Daniels coming in uh, to, to be their starting quarterback. This is a, a big prove-it year for Neil Brown, that West Virginia team, and uh, to see if they can finally take that next step. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think we're talking about a season where Neil Brown might be out of a job if if this one doesn't go well. I, he he hasn't won the fan base over. I mean, I you know, people probably support him to an extent, but they're not ooing and aahing over what Neil Brown's done at West Virginia so far. They haven't won, I don't think, more than six games or maybe seven in, in his three seasons at West Virginia. And honestly, they don't look like a team that's just one piece away right now. You know, you can't just be like, oh, they would be really good if they had just done blank. Like, no, they don't have that right now. What they have is a lot of questions. And while I'm a JT Daniels, I'm a big fan of him. And I think that he has a a very strong potential to be great. You got to point out the fact that he's bounced around a lot. I mean, I think that says a lot about a quarterback when he can't establish himself at one school especially with it being USC and Georgia, the, the schools that he was at before. And so um, if you ask me right now to, to pick a coach that is, has the hottest seat in the Big 12, I mean, it's obviously going to be him. I, I just think he – I think anything short of seven wins this year, probably we see a coaching change. Like, I, are, are West Virginia fans going to get fired up to go six and six and go play in the uh, whatever bowls in Arizona now? It used to be Cheez-It Bowl. I don't know what it is now. It changes every two years, but go six and six and go to that or seven and five and you get beat in the Liberty Bowl. Like, I, I don't think that that's going to really excite fans. So you need to see a seven, maybe eight win team to really feel good. I think about bringing Neil Brown back and, and selling them to the fans. We mentioned uh, you've covered recruiting for a long time. How good is Quinn Ewers? Is he is he going to be what he's hyped up as, Riley? <laughs> well, of course, he's at Texas now, so now we get to really just put that under the magnifying glass and really <laughs> build him up even more than we were. Uh, I mean, look, I the way that you ask that you could ask that question or answer it right now is he's the same quarterback he was when he signed at Ohio State, and everybody loved him when he signed at Ohio State. He didn't take a snap. I mean, obviously, he was not going to get on the field in, in that loaded quarterback room. Um and so there's zero reason to sit here and think that he's not going to be just as talented just because he's at Texas. In fact, I can sit here and make an argument that he's going to be better that he's at Texas because Steve Sarkeesian is an offensive mind. We know that when he has a lot of talent on his roster, you know, quarterback receivers, running backs, he can produce one of the top offenses in the country as we saw at Alabama. Now the talent that Texas has is not obviously what Alabama has on a yearly basis, but they have a star running back uh, in B. John Robinson. I, I think he's the best running back in the Big 12. They have elite receivers outside, and they just need Quinn to step up. I think it's putting a lot on his plate, especially after sitting on a redshirt season, to not only be a starting quarterback, but to be the Texas starting quarterback. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's got it. The problem with him is the Arch Manning situation. I mean, how comfortable is he going to feel this season knowing that Arch Manning's coming in and, is likely going to be the starter perhaps as soon as 2023. I, if I was Texas, I obviously would, would hold him off. I'd want it to be 24, but um, you know, how comfortable is that? Is that going to be in that role knowing it's probably going away unless he just wows the, the coaches. So uh, there's a lot on his plate and I think he can be great, but it's not going to be easy. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day that said, well, the, the plan at Texas is for Arch to redshirt and Quinn Ewers to, uh, you know, to be the starter next year and, and go, on, go on from there. That, that, that sounds nice. That may be the plan. But if you're Arch Manning, that can't be your plan mentally. You're not going there the state of mind already defeated that you're going to redshirt. Arch Manning, you're the number one player coming out. You're thinking, I'm going to go in there and win that job. Well, that and, I mean, let's be real. Everyone's favorite quarterback at every school in the country is the backup quarterback. You know, the second the starter makes the mistake, they want the backup. So now you get Quinn Ewers going out in week two next year, say, and he throws two interceptions and Texas loses to somebody by a touchdown. You don't think that everyone's clamoring for Arch Manning. You don't think that the NIL people that pay him – whatever outrageous deal he's going to get, aren't going to want to see him on the field ASAP. So look, Texas has the most talented quarterbacks in the country, you know, in, in 2023 when they have Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning on the roster, but is that going to work out? Like that's not a situation I want to have to handle. Like I do not envy Steve Sarkeesian right now being in that position. Oklahoma, they lost a lot after Lincoln Riley left from Caleb Williams uh, to uh, the wide receiver Williams and company. You know, Hazelwood goes to Arkansas. But it seemed like Venables did a, a solid job to put together a makeshift roster. Recruiting class for last year still finished with a pretty decent ranking. Dylan Gabriel comes in, maybe not as good as Rattler or Caleb Williams, but not a bad option. And he knows that system that Jeff Levy's bringing in that they uh, work together at UCF in. Yeah, you know, I think it's the problem with Oklahoma is everyone has the expectation that Oklahoma is going to be the team to beat in the Big 12. They're going to be a contender for the playoff. And that's just not what I think you can expect in year one. Like like I said earlier, you got to allow for a little bit of uh, of a transition time here. You got to allow for Brent Venables to get his feet wet and and really figure out what this head coaching thing is all about. Like and and I like Dylan Gabriel, and I, I think he put up some great numbers at UCF. But Dylan Gabriel was not was not this like highly coveted, you know, elite quarterback that everybody in the country wanted when he left UCF. He ended up at UCLA. Like it's and UCLA is not exactly the the football powerhouse that the top quarterbacks are going to. And so while he showed us what he can do at UCF and Obviously, at Oklahoma, he's going to have the best weapons of any place he's been so far, so that'll that'll take him a long way. But I'm not sure that he's ready to to say, you know, go through the 12 game gauntlet of of uh, you know Big 12 play. He's definitely not ready to to face Alabama. Um, I, I I just or excuse me, that's that's not Oklahoma. I I got Texas's schedule in mind for some reason. Um, I just think I I, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to probably win eight to nine games, push for 10, which is a great season. Like I would never knock that, but we know Oklahoma's standard and we know that it's higher. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how Venables handles that, that first season and, and kind of managing those expectations. Uh, last thing in the big 12, uh, my, my Kansas Jayhawks last year, two wins, including the win over Texas. They looked a lot better. It seemed towards the end of last year. Lance Leipold, his second year at, at KU. Do you think they take another step up? I know it's it's going to be tough. There's this team's got to, this conference got some depth, 
But can Kansas take another another step forward here, you think, in 2022? I, I think they can. Um, I do think that Lance Leipold is a very good coach. Um, I think he kind of knows – I think he knows what it's going to take to do it at KU. Now, can he – you know, does he know how to do it and can he do it? Obviously, those are two different things. Um, but I think that it, it's not just the Texas game for me. Like, everybody wants to be like, oh, they beat Texas and they did that on the road. Like, that's not what impressed me the most about KU last year. It was the – competitive nature they played with against TCU in West Virginia. Like I was way more impressed with those two losses than I was the one win over Texas. And so um, I think that he kind of has, he has a uh, established confidence so far with that end of the season, which obviously you need, if you're KU, you got to get that uh, early start on the season. Um, and I think that Jalen Daniels is a very, I think he's a very promising quarterback. I think if he gets taught right um, I think if they bring him up in the right direction, I think he can be a, a pretty special quarterback and and take them to the next level. But um, I'm like kind of like Adrian Martinez. I'm a little bit uh, – I'm pausing a little bit before I really jump to any conclusions because while he looked amazing in those three games and he looked like he can lead KU to um, getting back on track, what he didn't do is go through 12 games as a starter and 12 games as a starter at Kansas where – you're getting sacked a lot more than the rest of the league. You're getting, you're, you're running from, you know, you're running out of the pocket a whole heck of a lot more than everybody else is. So it's going to be an adjustment. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, probably another struggling season. I think they'll win more. I do. I do think that they'll probably go over their Vegas. I think Vegas has them at two and a half. Um, And I I think they'll hit three at least. So it'll be an improvement. um, And that's really all that you want to see if you're Kansas, but um you're behind the eight ball right now, obviously at KU, you just, you got a lot of work to do. Um, and, and Rome wasn't built in a day, but I, I do think that those last three games of the season last year provided quite a spark for, for KU to keep taking another step forward. Let's, uh, let's talk some golf here, Riley, uh, to wrap up uh, with you here, starting with uh, tiger. Good to see that he's back. Some folks may be listening right now with the open championship already underway. So uh, with that being said, uh, Riley, what's uh, what would be a successful weekend from Tiger? What do you want to see from him there at the uh, Open Championship? Here? Well, obviously making the cut. You know, he's made the cut at the first two majors that he played in this year, um, and and I think that that would just be a win, kind of keeping that uh, that trend going because it's obviously very difficult to to play good golf for four days, especially when you're in the physical condition he is. So I think making the cut would be huge, but um, if you're tiger or if you're a fan of tiger, the one thing you got to know is that he's been pushing for this one all year. Uh, the masters is obviously kind of like the big tournament. That's the one that everybody uh, has their eyes on, but he's been preparing for the open all season ever since he realized he was going to be able to play golf because he, this is a realistic possibility that this is the last time we see him play the open championship at St. Andrews, because it, it obviously alternates, you know, on a, on a cycle. And the next and time the it comes 150th edition. Yeah, yeah. The, the big one, that's the, it's a ceremonial one. And by the time it comes back to this course again, he, he might not be playing anymore. That's a realistic possibility. So I think just making the cut and maybe like, you know, trying to stay in the red, we're, we're probably going to see low numbers again. This course goes anywhere from like 13 to 17 under is the winner. So I don't. I really don't know if he can go that low um, currently in his physical condition. But if he could shoot like a 
three or four under, I think that'd be great. And I think it'd be an amazing weekend of golf out of him. Um, so that's what I would want to see out of tiger. And, but obviously, you know, right now golf is just kind of being, it's being dominated by the younger guys, the, the healthier guys and the ones that are doing it every week. Uh, Justin Thomas is hot right now. He not necessarily from a, a winning. I mean, you know, he won, won the major earlier. He hasn't won, uh, since then, but he's been right there. He keeps sniffing, uh, obviously with the season that Scotty Scheffler's having, he's going to be in the mix. And Will Zalatoris is probably having the greatest season that nobody's ever going to remember in yes. 10 years because two straight second place finishes in major championships at the age of like, I think he's 24 is, I mean, I, I think that that's absurd and I don't think it's getting talked about enough. So I think we're in for a really exciting weekend. Um, especially obviously with live and, and everything going on there. This is kind of the, this is the second major since all that really went down. So the heat is kind of off a little bit. Are those guys going to bounce back? I know a lot of people are eyeing uh, Dustin Johnson this week um, just because, you know, he plays it well off the box. St. Andrews right now is designed. I saw it was rolling like maybe 50 to 70 yards uh, further off of the one, you know, once it hits the ground and keeps rolling. So it, it kind of plays into Dustin Johnson's game a little bit uh, as well as John Rom. We know that John Rom plays the links well. So uh, I think we're in for a really, really fun weekend. Uh, there was news this week that the uh, feds are investigating the PGA tour for their handlings of players defecting to live. And we know about how the majors did not change their rules this year, allowing live golfers to still participate in major events. What do you think is the end game in all this here? When it's all said and done, do you think that we see a world where PGA and live golfers can coexist, where they can bounce back around here? What, where, where does this all come to a, uh, an end when it's all said and done? You think? I, I think live will always be around. Uh, I mean, I think it's just too well established and, and there's too much money in it right now to completely just like fall off the face of the earth and go away. Um, I think, my prediction is kind of a two-part thing. I think, A, I, I don't foresee a world in where all four majors get to continuously, you know, they get to keep playing in all four majors. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I, I think whether it's Augusta National or, or whether it's the PGA Championship, somebody's going to come down. They're going to lay down the law. They're going to say, you are not welcome to play in our major championship if you are involved in live. And obviously that is going to, to force some guys to come back. Um, I, I think – I think the Dustin Johnson's the Bryson DeChambeau's I think that they'll make their way back eventually and will not be as involved with live. Cause I don't think that they're making the impact that they feel right now. Um, and, and we saw that in the press conferences throughout the last month or two, like these guys do not care that the players are going to play live. And I don't think that the guys that left, I don't think that they're being missed as much as they thought they'd be missed. So um, it'll be around for a couple of years. It'll be a talking point and, and we'll see big names over there. But I think over time people will kind of realize, Oh, the real golf's on the PGA tour. And if I want to keep competing for major championships against the best of the best four times a year, playing on the Ryder cup, competing for FedEx points, I, I need to go back to the PGA tour. I don't think Tyler, uh, Taylor Gooch is going to be competing in the Ryder. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, maybe not him. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, appreciate you joining us, man. Before we go, where can people find you, see all the great work you're doing, man? Yeah, just uh, shoot me a follow on Twitter at Riley underscore Gates or, uh, you know, 24-7 Sports on, on Facebook and Twitter, and we've always got uh, story links out there for all the latest news.
Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. He is the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday, and he joins us right now. Bo, appreciate you joining us as always, man. I yeah. hope that uh, you're having as good of a day as Zach Wilson. <laughs> I don't think I'm having as good a one as Zach Wilson, but, uh, you know, God bless the young man. Yo, you know, listen, Bo's, Bo has banged more moms than Zach Wilson has, I'd hope. <laughs> I, I just have one. That I'm, at, least, I, at least more times. I, you know, I got one that I'm part, I'm partial to. No disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, Bo, I was thinking, as far as Zach Wilson goes, the, if I were Colin Cowherd, the Colin Cowherd take of this would be, you know, I want my quarterbacks to be with models, not moms. Yeah, but, you know, there's some moms out there, especially at his age. I mean, he's a young cat. I mean, Listen, you know, those aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, you know, they, they can be the same. I mean, I don't think it's a bad deal. You look at, at some of these moms. Hey, look at even people. You look at the women my age. I mean, there's some women my age out there that are smoking or just as good as anything you're going to find at his age. Bo I Jones, would, mom. I would, I would disagree with uh, Kellen Cowherd kind of take there. I, I don't know if Colin actually said that, no, but, but that that's a, like a Colin-esque take. Oh, it's very much a Colin, a Colin Coward-esque take. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, let, let's put it in your shoes as the elder statesman of this show, Paul. Yeah. If, if your son, P-Money, who's not much younger than yeah. Zach Wilson, yeah. if he was banging one of your, uh, one of your wife's friends, how would that go over? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I had that, that. that's tomfoolery in itself. We didn't even need to do the other segment together yet. And I'm thinking it depends <laughs> on the friend. <laughs> <laughs> then some I'd be like, oh God, son, what are you doing? I'd be proud. And there's others I'd be like, hey, more power to you. <laughs> I'd be proud. I'd be proud as hell. What would your I, wife I think I would be proud as hell too. I, I can't it. be mad. What would, what would your wife say, though? Oh, she'd be pissed. I think she'd be pissed. Yeah. I think she'd be like, yeah, it's poor judgment, son. <laughs> I'd be giving him some dap later. <laughs> Is this the turning point in the franchise for the Jets now? God, it I hope. might be. You know what? It, it, it can't get worse. And they've done some nice things with building that roster a little bit. I kind of like some of the moves they've made. And they got a quarterback with, with fuck your mom swag. You know. <laughs> yeah, Zach Wilson's definitely winning I mean, games this year, 100%. I mean, if he if he goes to the line of scrimmage, can you somehow use that the line of scrimmage as an audible of some kind? How old's you know, your mom? Right? <laughs> <laughs> you just see him across the field from me, like Aaron Donald. <laughs> You know, like, hey, Bob's number, Bob's number. number. (laughs) Well, yeah, what's he going to say? Mill, 44, said Hut. I do find it fitting that he's a BYU Cougar. 
Yeah, you know, I I wonder about all that now. I was thinking about that too. You know, he was a BYU guy. It may just be he's just never had it. Who knows? But uh, she, only, she only has three kids. She needs four more. <laughs> four more. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why I love Tom. I love that. Got to get, got to get to seven, seven wins, seven kids. Tom, I wonder if this, uh, this mom was she an NP? Well, maybe for the first three. <laughs> oh, Obviously, you know for what the NP is three. no. Okay, uh, stay tuned for the rest of the show. We're gonna bring up NPs again, probably. Okay, all right. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, some actual football talk, as, <laughs> as fun as this is. I mean, screw the rest of the show. We just talk about yeah, Zach Wilson, as far as I care. Um, Carolina, their uh, situation, head coach Matt Rule says, it's an open competition between Mayfield and Darnold. Uh, are you buying that, Bo? No, I think if you've gone in and, and gone and got Baker, I think he has to be your guy. And – if for no other reason you have to, I mean, you're spending money. It is kind of a, um, I'm not trying to say it's, it's one of those that it's, it's not that risky uh, pickup. So if it fails, it fails. But um, if you're going to get this player, you're going to get um, Baker and you're a coach on the hot seat, you got to play. I think it's a kind of a, I think that's why I said on my podcast, I thought it was a good pickup because you've got a coach who's all in, a quarterback who's all in, and they've all got to save their jobs. To play it's devil's all advocate, be on the though, same page work ethic wise. To play devil's advocate, though, Bo, does it matter at all that last year they ended up giving up a whole lot more for Darnold than they had to give up for Baker? No, I think that you can never look back at what you once had and that when you look back and try to compare that's when you get into problems you just move forward you know that's the way i would look at it and i would just say i would definitely move into the um the whole um in my case i'd look at it and say hey, you got to move forward this is the guy we want we can't look back and frankly that coaching staff can't afford to look back they can't afford to say, well, we paid this for this guy. No, it's about what happens now, because if not, they're all fired. Mm-hmm. I mean, why, why spend the time to exercise that in your brain? Right. So with that said, um, assuming Baker's their guy, how much of a difference does he make? We know the NFC is down as a whole. The NFC South is not great. Can Baker take Carolina to the playoffs? Um, I think it's a good roster. I, I look at it and think that it, it's tough because I think they're a pretty good roster. I think that he's a pretty good quarterback, but I don't think he doesn't pass that, you know, that Tyler Jones test of, uh, is he better than, um, you know, what is Ryan our, Tannehill. yeah, right. Right. Tannehill. Um, you know, there's a chance he can get him to the playoffs. It's going to be tough. That division, Atlanta's real bad. We don't know what New Orleans has at quarterback with Winston. If Winston's good, they're going to be really good. That whole team comes down to that one position. What's, what's Bucks, Bucks going to do? 
Is he back? Come again, Tom. I'm looking for Michael Thomas. If he comes back healthy or able, if he can come back and be, I don't know, 75% of what he was in the slot for Drew Brees and be that guy for Jameis Winston, I think the Saints are going to be one of those teams not to be messed with. Yeah. I think it all comes down to how Winston plays. And that's what makes it tr- tricky for me when you're looking at Baker, because you already know the Bucks are going to go. If the Saints are good, then now the Panthers are going to have a real tough time making the playoffs, no matter what. Well, I mean, who do you got in the NFC as playoff contenders? Or, you? I mean, you got the Rams in the NFC West. And then I would say yeah. either the 49ers, depending on what happens with Trey Lance or Jimmy. And then you have the Cardinals that also could be there. If I was a betting man, I'd say the Rams, Cardinals, and to have the Cardinals take one of those wild card spots. Give me the Packers. Um, give me the Bucks. You know, and, and then yeah. – could be the Saints, could be Carolina and the other wild card spot or the other 49ers. Yeah, 49. And I like and that I think in the East, you got the Cowboys. I mean, somebody's gonna win the division. Yeah, Cowboys. And it did the but then I like the Eagles a lot. I like what they're yeah, I like the Eagles to win that division personally. Really? I, I think that's gonna be closer than people think. I think the Eagles are I think the Eagles are gonna make the playoffs this year. So I mean you're essentially at that point you're leaving either the Cardinals or 49ers or maybe even both. I don't know what the 49ers are gonna do. If if I was a betting man, I'm gonna say Rams, Cardinals, that's gonna be one of the wild card spots. And then Dallas Eagles yeah. is the other wild card spot. And I guess you throw in another one, and then I think it could be Saints or Panthers. I'm not if, if someone said yeah. get 50 to one for the Carolina Panthers to make it. If Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, which is a huge, if huge, if yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I, I heard from some people that the big thing on why Baker was so disliked by his teammates, there was a lot of smoke to the Baker Mayfield Odell Beckham thing. And I think a lot of his teammates didn't care for him in, in Cleveland, sounds like. And I don't know how that's going to work in Carolina. And he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. And in his case, there is not a big-time veteran player there. I mean, McCaffrey's still a young guy who's battled injuries last couple seasons. So I can see that. I mean, but is he going to be able to come in and lead immediately? I think is going to be an issue. But – I think the big thing is you just gotta you gotta just go all in on it. I mean, that's essentially what you have to do. Yeah. You're not wrong about that. What about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? We've heard some rumblings this week uh, from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reporting that the Seahawks are taking a look at Garoppolo. We've also seen his name come up to possibly be in Cleveland. That if Sean Watson is suspended for the full season, that they could end up bringing Garoppolo in. It's a stopgap quarterback for the year that they don't necessarily trust Jacoby Brissett to take on the whole mantle. Um, with knowing those circumstances, the Niners, if they cut Jimmy G 
prior to week one. They only have to pay him $1.4 million against the cap. If he's still on the roster after week one, then he's owed the full $26 million at that point. Yeah. So you'd have to think, Bo, that, I mean, just basic economics here. If the Niners are sold on Trey Lance, which we've been told they are, Jimmy G will be on the market at some point, whether he's traded or he's a free agent one way or the other, he will be on a different team. But will you, do you think that he finds a landing spot as a starter next year? Does he end up in a spot like Seattle or Cleveland or somewhere else? Um, I think Seattle is probably the most, the most, what it makes most football sense, but I don't know if he'll be traded in division. There's no chance the 49ers are going to have him on their roster at the end of training camp. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, the if only they have way- to cut him and count their losses, that's better than yeah, because of the salary cap implications of it. It's better to, to pay one million dollars in the cap, like it's like a million five or something like that. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to paying the player 26 to be a backup. The only chance he's got of being the quarterback of the 49ers is if Trey Lance gets hurt. Right. So he, right now he's insurance for training camp for Trey Lance, which means the 49ers can give Trey Lance more reps. But I'm not sure they're going to want to do it. It's an expensive insurance policy. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, it would have been cheaper to go out and got Baker Mayfield. Experience, right. You know, expensive insurance policy. We're talking to the man of insurance. He knows his thing. Yeah. It's true. There's not a lot of cash value in that. Yeah. Call um, so now that you bring up the interdivision thing, yeah. um, I was talking about this on Chat Sports this week. In the last 20 plus years, there's really only been three notable interdivision trades Drew Bledsoe to Buffalo from New England, Wes Welker from Miami to New England. And then Donovan McNabb from Philadelphia to Washington. It doesn't happen that often. But even with that said, I don't think it's in the best interest of the Seahawks to make a trade for Garoppolo, not only to have to pay him all that money, but also you'd be making your division rival better. You you give give them assets. But on the flip side of that, too, I'm thinking San Francisco – wouldn't it still be better to trade if, if Seattle's the only team, let's say for all intents and purposes, if they're the only team that comes to you with an offer, isn't that still better to take that offer than to let him go and get nothing keep out him? of it? That or just keep him and paying that money? Absolutely. I don't want to step on Bo's toes here. So I'll let go Bo go first. But I, I think if if real quick, if the 49ers only had Seattle is the suitor and they didn't trade Jimmy G. If they believe that much in Trey Lance, they'd be absolutely stupid not to just take the chance and then steal a first rounder from Seattle if that's what they were offering. I mean, call their bluff, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I agree with Tom on this. I think you definitely take whatever you can get, even from an interdivision rival, because um, you're not getting anything in trade for him. The salary cap number is too big. So the way I look at it is it doesn't matter where you trade him to. If you release him, he's going to sign with Seattle. That's the way I would look at it. So if Seattle wants to offer me something for it, well, I'll take the offer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like give me the box because I'm not going to have anything in the box later, and you're going to get him anyway. Does it make sense for Cleveland if 
Deshaun's out for the year to bring in Garoppolo, or you just might as well play Jacoby? What say you? I just play Jacoby. Um, I'm I'm a guy who believes in Jacoby Brissett. That's just my preference. Um, You know, I I feel like the season's already a lost cause if you can't play Deshaun anyway. Yeah, I think so. And I I think that I just go ahead and play Jacoby Brissett and and do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, it's just you're going to have to pay his contract if you bring him in. It's $26 million unless he clears waivers. And I'm not sure what's going to happen there. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would not. If I were – I mean, Cleveland, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But, hey, Cleveland's made a shitload of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. So what's the say they don't make another one? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're the trash of the league. I mean, listen, here's what I think happens. Um, I, think, I think there's a real good chance Jimmy G goes to Seattle. I don't know. I don't know. And if I'm Seattle, if I'm Seattle, I'm doing what we already just talked about in terms of the Browns loss of season. Seattle's not going to be doing shit. Think about it. Like they have no chance. You can bring in, you could bring back Russell fucking Wilson and they're not winning the division. That's just how it's going to be. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, how much do you want to pay for third best? maybe not even third best, maybe even fourth best in the NFC West. How much do you want to pay for Jimmy G? Uh, Because, you know, the 49ers will deal him. I don't know if it's going to be for a first round pick. I think, I think, I think they could harbor Seattle for better than what the Panthers paid Baker for. Um, I don't see don't see Seattle trading for him. I think they take him if he's a free agent. If he gets released, you only have to pay think, him $10 million as opposed to 26, then then I think that piques your interest. I don't I wouldn't give I up mean, anything for Jimmy G in that contract. You know, that that makes sense too. I can see that. But like, you know, you talk about like, okay, well, Carolina's getting Baker, and then we talk about the Browns calling it a loss of a season. Um for Jacoby Brissett. If I you know, and, and uh, there could be some debate here. Who are you taking first? Are you taking Geno Smith that has been with Seattle for a decent amount of time that knows the system that has actually won games and has been somewhat impressive as a backup with Seattle? Are you taking Jacoby Brissett from the Browns? Give me Geno all day. Over Brissett? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so if if Seattle's in the same place as the Browns and it's already a loss of a season, you're not going to win the fucking NFC West even if you were half as decent as they are now. There's no way. Yeah. I mean, they're going to lose, I'd say, out of the six divisional games. Well, what, five divisional games? No, six divisional games. They're going to lose five of them. Right. They might win week 18 when the Rams are resting their starters. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that might be it. Yeah. I mean, I take Gino. I would take Gino right now for the money they're paying him over Brissett. And then for the money that they're paying Gino, I would not be paying Jimmy G. Now, what's, what's so interesting to me, Bo, is like the perception of Jimmy G. If, if we go back 10 years, maybe even five years, the numbers that Jimmy G's putting up, I think five, 10 years ago, we would say, yeah. Jimmy G's just fine as your starter. But yeah. now with 
the money that these quarterbacks demand and how expensive they are and how cheap rookie quarterbacks are, I think actually Jimmy G's underrated personally. 71% winning percentage as a quarterback. His touchdown to interception ratio solid. About a 69% completion percentage. Jimmy G, I think, is underrated. But with where the market's at, there's just not – today's NFL doesn't suit keeping guys like Jimmy G long-term anymore. Well, no, yeah. not for that price either. But, you, you know, you look at 49ers, what Jimmy G did with, with Debo, and then even with Brandon Ayuk, and then you turn around, what's a better combo, Brandon Ayuk with Debo, or you want to take DK with Tyler Lockett? That's pretty similar, arguably. 49ers, obviously, with Williams has a better front line. Jimmy G would get obliterated in Seattle. Uh, because their offensive line is is dog shit. But in terms of a receiver core, how much different is Seattle than the San Francisco 49ers? It's not. But, I mean, on this point here, Bo, the the way the league's changed, that, that the market is not there for Jimmy G's of the world to be long-term solutions anymore. And it wasn't that long ago. I think you go back five years. Yeah. Jimmy G plays exactly like he is now, and you, you would say that could be your quarterback for 10 years. I don't know. He's played really poorly the last two seasons when he's been in. He's really played bad. They have the 49ers have purposefully gone to a heavy run first offense, to an offense where they don't want to put the ball in the quarterback's hand. Um, I mean, I think he was a higher thought of quarterback when. He was a backup quarterback in, in New England and maybe his first year out of New England. But now I don't I don't think there's any team that would take Jimmy Garoppolo as their starting quarterback today, except for maybe the Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans. I'm thinking I'm taking Jared Goff still over Jimmy G. Yeah. So if all things are equal. Not counting salary. You don't think that Jimmy G is a starting caliber quarterback in this league? I, I don't because you, what, the, what's the upside? That's the thing you have to think about. Is there upside? We've seen the best of Jimmy Garoppolo. What's, and and what's, it's not great. What's the trade deadline for maybe some team like Tennessee if, if let's say, I, I don't know, before I, before I make, before I present this, what, what is Jimmy G in terms of relation or logic? What is Jimmy G to Ryan Tannehill? Better, worse, same? Worse. I'd take Tannehill every day. Yeah, I would take yeah. Ryan Tannehill every day of the week over Jimmy Garoppolo. So now if you're Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill goes down with a knee injury in week three, by week eight, if you're still shooting at the playoffs, especially in that division with the Colts and the Jags, uh, and obviously the ass Texans and your Tennessee with with maybe a more healthy Derrick Henry. Are you if you're variable, are you looking maybe to get some, you know, some trade value out of Jimmy G to make a run? Are we looking at a Nick Foles situation maybe with Jimmy G? Like, could he be trade bait for the 49ers towards the deadline? For a team that may have a down quarterback or a bad situation. No, no, no. Because no. we're not going to pay him the twenty-six million dollars. He'll be cut. And that's fair. Exactly. So it's you got. So those. you're thinking, end all, be all. The 49ers are going to cut Jimmy G. 
Yeah, he won't make it. At the very least, he will not be there week one. Yeah, unless Trey Lance gets hurt. And the reason being is that it's $26 million toward the cap. And there's just so much you can do with that much cap space. It would be different if there was dead cap money they had to worry about. But $1 million in dead cap money is nothing. It's tip money. It's a rounding error. So in this chance, I, I, I don't see a situation where he's on that roster except for an injury. Now, what could happen that could make a team want to trade for him is if a quarterback goes down and they don't like their quarterback backup or they have a young backup or there are a heavy run offense um, and they say, or say it was New England. You know, I can see that if, if um, I'm forgetting names now, New England's quarterback. Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Yeah. If Mac Jones were to go down in training camp, I could see that situation. You know, that's just an example of a, a young quarterback there. I think Belichick would like him because he, he knows the system already, that kind of stuff. But I, I just don't see – I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy who will clear waivers. He'll go out. Someone will pick him up after he clears waivers. So they pay him less, and he'll be someone's backup quarterback. And he'll be a valuable backup quarterback. Right. He's just not a starter. And the only reason you'd go to him as a starter is if there was an absolute emergency. I mean, of starters in this league right now, I would take him over whatever you call the starter in Seattle, Geno Smith or Drew Locke. I'd take him over Marcus Mariota in Atlanta. I take him over Trubisky in Pittsburgh. Um, now, obviously, all those are certain situations, but I, I see that's where I disagree. I think he is a starter caliber, but I think he's on that bottom tier. See, I think he's in that lowest tier. Like you made a couple of examples. I would take Marcus Mariota. Would Would Jimmy G or Zach Wilson be banging your mom's best friend? <laughs> well. <laughs> Jimmy hey, G is pretty handsome. Looker, man. Jimmy G's a good-looking dude. I mean, I mean, they both are. You did that's that's the draft I want. Who's banging your mom's best friend? <laughs> One and two is Jimmy G and Zach Wilson. Could we see Jimmy G banging the mom's best friend on the Jets by the end of the season? This conversation. The, the, the Jets, yeah. I mean, welcome, to, welcome to welcome to the Jones Report. <laughs> Welcome to the Jones Report. Jimmy Coach G could be not your mom's day. best friend in New York City by the end of the season. That would be a hardcore Jets move. Zach Wilson shits the bed, and they bring in Jimmy G for 26 G, 26K, or 26 milli. And uh, he, he bangs your mom's best friend for 26 Gs. Let's move on. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> the listeners, on agree, here, Tyler. The listeners agree. Has uh, Zach Wilson ever been on the Subway commercial? No. Let's let's talk about Le'Veon Bell. He is uh, not going to play Former football Jet. in 2022. We'll focus on boxing as he will fight Adrian Peterson at Crypto.com Arena in L.A. later this month. And we saw him a few years back, right in the prime of his career, held out an entire season because – he wasn't getting the money Pittsburgh wanted to give him. And his career 
really just never recovered ever since then. Yeah. Sitting out again, Bo, I don't think Le'Veon Bell loves football. I don't think Le'Veon Bell's playing football anymore. I, I look. He I don't think he loves the game. He may be right. I mean, but I mean, since his couple seasons with the Chiefs, what's he really done? I mean, he's been he was a backup, and he, I, I don't. He's not going to be a starting running back anywhere. Running backs don't get paid well. He's not going. He's going to tear his body up doing it. I don't know if he saved his money. Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. I I, just, I don't know, so I'm not going to question that. If he feels like boxing's what he wants to do, I know. I know Frank Gore just had a had a boxing match, and he's older than than Le'Veon Bell. Um, I don't know if that's what he wants to do. Blessing, you know. I hope he's not doing it for the money. I hope that both he and Adrian Peterson are doing it because they need money. I hope they're doing it because they want to stay in top shape and well, that's the next thing to move to. Adrian's that, had some money problems. I know that. Yeah, I know that. That's why I was kind of like, oh, I hope it isn't a money thing for both of them. I think the bigger question is who's going to win that? Who would you bet on in that fight? Oh, Adrian Peterson's one of the strongest running backs I've ever seen. I'm not betting against that man. Yeah, yeah I'm taking hey, Adrian Peterson's He already beat his kid. You don't think he can beat up another grown man? Hey, 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 hey. hey, you know what? I mean, Adrian Peterson also, <laughs> headshots will not hurt Adrian Peterson. Joe He's Mixon versus Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon versus Adrian Peterson. <laughs> That'd be a good one. What oh, I was saying, though, is that, hey, yep, the exactly. headshots aren't going to hurt Adrian Peterson because he's already pretty dumb. I mean, he's yeah. not an intelligent CTE versus – I'm going to hell. That's all right. That's that's my biggest fear, though. Honestly, you said that. You've been trying to be funny, but it's true. These guys – Look at Demarius yes. Thomas. How many, how many hits – you know, not to be morbid, but how many hits did Demarius Thomas take? I don't feel like yeah. that many – I feel like, to be honest with you, and this is not to to downplay any hits that Marius Thomas took, which he just came back from the autopsy, which had CT2. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders took a shot from a Rams player back in the day when they were still in St. Louis that, that looked like it would kill the guy. What does Emmanuel Sanders' brain look like? Demaris Thomas, I don't feel like, took hella shots. No, and then if you look at, like, Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell playing running back, their running is, style. Yeah, especially in Adrian Peterson's case. Yeah. High contact, lots of contact. Man, I I wonder about that going into boxing. That's one thing I was very concerned about. I hope that I hope that both of them are healthy. I hope it's not just a gag for money. Um, you know, I just hope the best for them health-wise and and hope that they are happy with the decisions they're making. And and I hope that it's not because you know, they got bills to pay and mouths to feed and and are, are thinking without using their brains. It's another contract. He's going to get it. He's going to get, get another opportunity from another team, whether yeah. that be beneficial to his health or not. I'm not counting on Le'Veon Bell for an NFL contract again. Uh, I, he's he's going to get another opportunity from just some team, TJ Yeldon. Or Travis Etienne will go down for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they'll call Le'Veon Bell, and he'll go play four or five games for him. Yeah, I just hope you know Le'Veon Bell has said he's not going to play football this season, but Adrian Peterson also wants to kind of go drive up the the uh, yards rushing record, and he wants to drive up toward that, and he's got a chance to move up if he had a few games. But I just 
I don't think that either of them should get back and get back on the field. And they probably shouldn't get back in the ring. I did see they're not going to consider it a professional fight. So I wonder if they're going to wear headgear. Yeah. I can see I that. hope so. I hope so. Since neither of them have, I mean, they're going to obviously be trained into this fight. They're going to go through a training camp, but that's not like professional. And I can't imagine that either of these guys are going to be prepared like that or have you know, ever prepared like that. They've never actually been boxers in this far in their adult life. So I hope they're wearing headgear. I hope they're protective. I hope they're safe. From an entertainment standpoint, I wouldn't pay for this, not by any stretch. I might No, watch. but I'm rooting for Adrian Peterson because, dude, I just if there was anybody you could look at and go, man, that guy would be a good boxer. I might watch like a free stream or something. My body, Adrian Peterson would be it. I would I wouldn't pay for this. I'd watch a free stream maybe or something. But I mean, the entertainment value. Uh, I mean, Bo. I mean, you follow fighting. You know, mostly wrestling. But I mean, we we've gone from boxing being a great sport to now guys are just playing boxing. And the old yeah. the old saying was, you don't play boxing like. This to me is is almost getting to a bridge too far here. I mean, yeah, I, there are there is a lot of the play box. You know, the guys who are on the YouTube, you know, the Pauls of the world and the Logan Pauls and those, and you know, that kind of deal. I agree. And I mean, you're gonna find out when Nate Robinson a, got knocked out a while back. I mean, yeah, you gotta you find out when you get into what a real boxer, what's gonna happen. I am not. I'll tell a story. So my father was a Louisiana state policeman. He was a state tripper. And near the end of his career, he had a couple of years where he was brought in to be like an, an, a police escort guy for a lot of high-end athletes, celebrities, when they were ever there appearing in New Orleans and things. He got to, he had to spend a couple of days with Muhammad Ali. And this is after Muhammad Ali had retired, he finished his career, and the, the uh, Parkinson's was starting to set in. And my dad said that he was talking to Muhammad Ali, that they were, you know, they were having a conversation. And then somebody came in and he said, for just a moment, Muhammad Ali played it up like he was okay. You know, he got up and he, and he threw like four hands. He says, first off, I've never seen anybody throw hands as fast in my entire life. And he was like, and secondly, he was in his 50s. He was like, I'm not, you don't want to smoke with a box. I'm just saying they're different breeds of animal. And I, yeah, these NFL guys, if they're going to get into a boxing ring with a, with a boxer, they're going to get murdered. I mean, it's plain and simple. I mean, it's no problem Le'Veon Bell fighting Adrian Peters. It's a little more equal. But let's say Le'Veon Bell knocks Adrian Peterson out. He ain't ready to fight a real boxer. Yeah, I mean, it's a different animal. You're right. You're right. It's just like you wouldn't suspect that a, a really good boxer would show up and be a football player. Right. You know, just because you're tall and athletic doesn't mean you can go play baseball or go play basketball. Yeah, I mean, Floyd Mayweather, you're not going to throw him at linebacker. No. As is, is great an athlete as LeBron is, he could not right now drop it and go play in the NFL. The skill set just wouldn't be there. Not at his age, not Although at his experience. The rumor was Jerry Jones wanted to sign him. Well, yeah, I mean, and he was a football player when he was in high school, but 
I mean, he's in his late thirties now. You're not going to do that. You know, it's the same thing. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's the football fix for this week. Yeah. I was going to stick around and join us for this week's draft and our draft this week. This is going to be a unique one. It's open to interpretation. We are drafting backup quarterbacks. And here, here's what I'll say on this. The criteria is what you make of it. If Bo, for example, wants to draft the six best backup quarterbacks of all time, he can do that. If he wants to think of the six funniest backup quarterbacks of all time or weird-looking guys, whatever it may be, whatever his combination is that is up, up to him or all three of us decide with our teams. It's as you see fit. So um, we'll get started, and we'll see where this goes, and we'll discuss as we go along the way. Uh, last week, Tom had the first pick, so I am on the clock first. Tom picks second, Bo picks third. Bo will have the back-to-back on the other end. So my first pick for the backup quarterback draft, guys, I am going to go with the only quarterback that I know to – run out the back of the end zone and become a meme on the internet. Uh, he is a gift, a gift that keeps on giving. Dan Orlovsky is my first pick, former Lions backup <laughs> quarterback. He was on that 0-16 Lions team. Um, I love that every time he says something controversial, he's a pretty good analyst on ESPN. People just tweet him the gift of him running in the back of the end zone. And so with that, I'm going with Dan Orlovsky off the board with my first pick. Uh, Tom, you're up. Yeah, it's pretty solid. I, that's, that's hard to beat. But, you know, for what it's worth in terms of greatness, in terms of backup to Drew Bledsoe, I have to probably go with the one and only, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady was the backup at one point to Drew Bledsoe. And we might not have seen Tom Brady if it wasn't for Drew Bledsoe's injury. So I'm going with Tom Brady. <laughs> okay. Just going with the greatest of all time. Here. Wait, okay. I the, mean, I was expecting you to do so. I thought you were too, Tyler. I, I Because I would have taken Brady next. Absolutely. I'm staying within the spirit of backup quarterbacks. He it's, was a backup. Hey, I mean, listen, you opened it. You opened it for, for – I did. I did. Yes. Tom brought up the best point. The best point is, if it's not for the injury to Drew Bledsoe, we may not have ever heard of Tom Brady. He was clearly good enough. He was going to get a shot somewhere. It was a seventh-round pick. Sixth-round pick. I, I don't know. I, I, no, I don't know. Okay. I, I think so Tom, Brady's, help. Tom Brady's off the board. All right. Bo, you got the back and back Oh, I'm going to the second best quarterback to ever play. It was ever a backup. And that's the Steve Young was Joe Montana's backup. Uh, the, the backstory there, um, the Niners, I always wondered, Bo, they kept Joe as the backup for a while before he actually went off to Kansas City. What was that about? Ago. Like, what, what, why'd they keep him around to be a backup? I mean – at the time, they didn't know. I mean, he had Joe Montana, who was the greatest quarterback of all time at the time, and he was just getting older. And Steve Young was younger. He was more athletic, but he wasn't quite the quarterback that the offense. The West Coast offense was very particular, 
And so, yeah, it's a different day. Like, and there was no salary cap back then. The 49ers had, you know, plenty of money. You know, plus if it didn't work, if Steve Young didn't work out, because the knock on him was, yeah, he's athletic and he's a scrambling guy. It's also left-handed. You know, why – what if it doesn't work? And he could fall back to Joe Montana. So, um, and there was a situation similar to that in the mid-'70s with the Colts and Johnny Unitas. Uh, but, I, I mean, Steve Young ended up being great. Montana got traded to the Chiefs and, you know, won a playoff game with the Chiefs. Young won a Super Bowl finally. And, and you have the – he got the monkey off his back and he's one of the greatest, you know, he's a hall of fame quarterback in his own right, but he was a, a backup for two or three seasons and brought in to be the backup. Okay. So, uh, so Joe Montana, the uh, pick there. No, Steve Young. Or Steve Young rather. Steve Young, yeah. Joe Montana was not. Yeah. Okay. So Steve Young there. Bo, you're on the clock again. Okay. The next one I'm going to go with is going to piss my KU friends off, but I'm fond of what I call clipboard money. I'm talking about these are the guys who are the career backups nowadays. They're outstanding quarterbacks. They'd be starters in the past, but they're backups. They handle the clipboard. They're, help, they're going to help you if you lose a guy for a couple of weeks. And the guy that's made the most clipboard money is Chase Daniel. It's a good one. And so I'm taking Chase. That guy's been like five separate teams. He's always been pretty good, and he just keeps collecting big old checks. Doesn't he have to respect great, the game? Doesn't he have a great life? He hasn't had to play a whole lot, and he's made great money, and he yeah. stayed out of the spotlight. That's that's clipboard money. That's what I call it, clipboard money. He's the king of it. If I could choose a job in the NFL, it would be backup quarterback. Right. It's the best. Okay, uh, Tom, you're up. You know, you know who I got to go with. Uh, I went from, I went from Tom Brady to you know Tom Brady with Drew Bledsoe getting a chance. Well, I'm going to the similar story. If Trent Green never got hurt uh, for the Rams, we probably would have never heard of grocery bagger Kurt Warner. Uh, there's even been a movie made about the man. Um, I mean, we would never heard of Kurt Warner. Had it not been for the Trent Green injury, um, and then led the greatest show on turf, and now there's a shitty movie made about him. And it was trash. The movie was terrible, uh, and if the movie was anywhere near his career, we wouldn't be talking about him. Um, so I'm gonna go with Kurt Warner. Okay, Kurt Warner, solid pick there. Um, this one, I'm going. I, I think I'm going for the creativity team here. Um, we, we, we said backups, but we, we didn't necessarily specify that it had to be in the NFL. Um, I am going to go to the TV screen, and I'm going to go with the ultimate backup, Alex Moran with Blue Mountain State. Oh, my uh, God. Blue Mountain State was a terrific television show. If you haven't seen it, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but you need to see it. Alex Moran, the – Lead character of that show. Uh, that show got me through college. Um, his whole role was the backup quarterback. And he never wanted to play because he got to party and have a great time as the backup quarterback. And so uh, Alex Moran is uh, my pick here. Uh, Tom, uh, how about that one? That's pretty solid. I would. I know you've been a big fan of Blue Mountain State. 
So I'm not shocked at the pig, but a solid pig nonetheless. Bo, have you seen Blue Mountain Steak? I have seen like clips of it. That's all I've really seen. I've seen some of the clips. The clips look hilarious, uh, but I haven't watched it in full okay. yet. All right. Yeah. I need some actual talent on my roster. I am going to try to mix this up a little bit here. I'm going to go with a guy that was a backup for way too long. Uh, I feel like we were deprived of seeing him early in his career. And that's going to be Aaron Rodgers for me. At the I know it. Behind Brett Favre. That was so wrong. The Packers should have moved on from Brett a lot sooner. Aaron has been terrific. One of the greatest to ever do it. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, backup for way too long, Bo. They, they, they should have moved on from Brett a lot quicker than they did. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers should have been the start. I, look, I'm the biggest Brett Favre hater you will ever meet. You're crazy. I love Brett Favre. Brett is the most overrated quarterback he, in history. He's the, the most overrated player, that, most overrated quarterback I've ever seen. If, All right, John, John, wait, wait. If John, John Madden, if John Madden was not calling so many of his games and getting a hard on over Brett Favre, we would not think of him the same way. John no, Madden that, that, is that, a big part of Brett that's Favre's legacy. I'll tell you who who's most known like Brett Favre right now. You want to compare a, a f***er to Brett Favre right now? You're going to compare Patrick Mahomes to Brett Favre. They're the same person. I don't know about that. 100%. Patrick Mahomes might as well be f***ing Brett Favre. Look at this season. Look at the interceptions. Look at Look at the throws. Look at the throws. Brett Favre made the same type of throws. Brett, don't don't you disrespect Brett Favre. It might be your show, but it ain't this and it ain't at this point. Brett Favre, would, don't you disrespect Brett Favre. I would Brett take Favre. Mahomes over Favre any day. Listen, I, Brett Favre is fucking Favre's like most Jack underrated Wilson. quarterback in history. Yes. Brett Favre is one quarterback. Brett Favre, Brett Favre is the better Jameis Winston uh doesn't have shit on Brett Favre. He wants to, but he doesn't. That's a but low. Brett, Brett Favre would request nudes Brett from your mother. Miller. Brett Favre would request nudes from your mom. Uh, you know what? But Brett Favre could have had my mom. I don't care. All right. So I got <laughs> Rodgers. We, we were deprived of three more years of Aaron Rodgers, potentially, thanks to Brett Favre. Gee, thanks. Appreciate it. He moves, he moves to Dallas and he becomes a Packers fan. <laughs> I've always respected Aaron. I like Aaron. Um, Tom, you're on the clock here. All right, listen. Uh, I hate to do it because um, actually, I don't hate to do it. I'm trying to win this bitch again. I, I smashed y'all last week. I'm gonna smash you this week. I'm taking Roger Stallback. If you don't know the story of Roger Stallback, Roger Stallback wasn't wasn't a day one starter. He he was less than that. Roger Stallback didn't play for like. I don't know how many years, like five freaking years. He was in the uh, army. Yeah, well, true. But he was behind Craig Borden um, in that Dallas offense. And then and then Roger Staubach led it after he was after he was swapped out for freaking Craig Morton. And then yeah. Roger Staubach was one of the GOATs. Yeah, he was Roger one Staubach's of the great. He, he's one of the all-time great and most one of the most underrated quarterbacks of all time. 
But he, he was, was drafted to be the starting quarterback of that team. But it, no, it, but he was he didn't play for like five years. He yeah, was, he, he was in the Navy. Like he didn't start until he was like twenty eight. Yeah, he was in because he was in Vietnam for five years. Well, hey, I mean, listen, he didn't die. He must have been a pretty good soldier, and he was a pretty damn good quarterback. So I'm taking Roger Stallback. Good. So Tom's gonna go all Hall of Famers, and so your next pick can be Joe Montana. If you want, you know, you can take Johnny Unitas later, too. Hey, he listen, I took a pack a of Black years. and Miles and a six-pack of beer last week and beat your ass. If I can be – if I can take – if I can take – I'm I'm waiting on y'all to go ahead and take the next one that I got on the list. You got two picks coming up, Bo, and if you don't take them, I'll, I'll smash you out on the next pick, too. I'm not doing any I, – I, I'm kind of going category by category here. When I this, hey, this next guy I'm going to draft, you don't draft him. He's not a Hall of Famer. I'll tell you that. I got I got another one on my list, but Roger Staubach, you, you can't deny Roger Staubach, Vietnam or not. Okay. Uh, we get we get I get two back to back now, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm going by category. I, I'm just taking a, a different category each time, each pick. I'm not trying to go for the best player. So I'm going with a backup guy who was a backup quarterback who ended up winning a Super Bowl and Damn. was better than Kurt Warner. No. And, and 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 you're thinking I'm gonna say Jeff Hosteller, and I'm not. No, no, I already know who you're gonna take. But I'm going with the guy who was a also. He's was, still in the league. No, no, this guy's lost. But this guy was also someone who broke down racial barriers. Oh, I'm not taking Warren. Doug Williams. Doug Williams. Oh. Nice. First black quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. Yes, he is. It was a backup. He was a backup. I mean, it was that was uh, that was Theismann's team. So, Joe Theismann, right? The, yeah, he, he would change his name from Theismann to Theismann. All right, Jonesy, I'm kind of inspired by your Blue Mountain State pick here. Okay. Okay. So, if you're gonna pick a fictional backup quarterback, don't you have to pick? Best fictional backup quarterback? Oh, no. So I'm taking Steeman Willie Beeman. <laughs> That's the second. Sunday. We have our first ever second time draft selection. Steamy Willie Beeman is the first one. That's like, that, mean, that means he's a Hall of Famer now. He's, like, he's a, draft. a Jones Report Hall of a Famer. A Jones Report Hall of Famer. Steamy Willie Beeman, the first entry. Congratulations. So, if I got to have a fictional guy, give me the best backup quarterback. Oh, that – we have history on, on the show right now. Congrats to Willie on being the first. <laughs> History's been made. Where is Gorilla Monsoon? History made. History. Yes. Tom, who did you think I was going to pick instead of Doug Williams? Well, I'll tell you here in a second. Oh, you're going to take him? Okay. All right, Dom, you're on the clock. Well, you know, I gotta, I gotta take one of the guys that defeated Brady at the Super Bowl, don't I? Uh, I've already taken Brady, so I have to take another former backup, and I got, I gotta go Nick Foles. Okay. Nick Foles not off the board yet. I could have swore that that Bo was gonna end up taking him, and and he didn't. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll end up going any fictional quarterbacks. 
Um, I, I did think about Ronnie Bass from Remember the Titans, but I get technically he wasn't fictional, but he was never a backup. You know, he, he came in from, you know, sunshine and he didn't, you know, yeah. do anything crazy. But uh, from that point on, I have to I, I think I would be remiss not to take Nick Foles. The Philly special. I mean, that's hard to beat. That that still is a great play. The fact that Brady dropped the catch earlier in the game and Foles executed it was awesome. Yeah, Brady would have never made that catch. <laughs> Nick Foles. I knew Nick Foles was going to get drafted here. Uh, somebody had to take Nick Foles. Uh, it was not coming for me. No, nah, it was all, not on my big board. Not on your big board. Not Nick Foles. Um, I'm going to go with another guy that waited too long off the bench um, before he got his start. And he got a chance to play one game, and he looked pretty good, and the rest is history, and he's been great ever since he got that opportunity. I'm going to go with former backup Patrick Mahomes here with uh, my next Oh, my God. Sat behind Alex Smith, and the rest has been great since. Um, And you know what? I think Andy Reid – May have done him good, actually, sitting behind Alex Smith in, in reality, uh, letting him learn from Alex and, and everything that came with that. And they were able to get Kendall Fuller in the trade for Alex Smith that when it all said and done. So uh, I'll go with uh, Patrick Mahomes there with my fourth pick. Uh, my fifth pick, I am uh, going to go with a guy that was mentioned, but not, none of us have drafted yet. And – I think this is a good mix of three things, talent, accomplishments, and the character factor we've talked about. I'm going with Jeff Hostetler here. Has anyone in the NFL ever had a better mustache than Jeff Hostetler? Like, that thing is a beauty. Like, I love that mustache. I mean, that is like 80s porn star prime right there. I mean, (laughs) Jeff Hostetler, that mustache – uh, I mean, that's that's where it's at. So Jeff Hostetler, a good all-around pick there. Are, uh, are you jealous because you couldn't grow that? Yeah, I uh, absolutely. I can't grow that. I would yeah, love I to see jealous. Tyler grow a mustache. Did, do you like the Hostetler stash, Bo? Yeah, yeah. I, I was not a big fan of theirs in the 80s. I mean, that was not my team. Uh, yeah, I remember rooting. I remember watching this Super Bowl. I didn't root for them. So, yeah. All right, Dom, you're back on the clock. This is my last pick, isn't it? No, you got two more. Hold on, I got this one and another one? Yeah. Well, I'll be damned. Hmm. I, I, I want to take this person because I think Jones will take him. Um, And I, I don't know yet. I've I'm locked in take... my last two, so I, I know I'm taking. I'm going to go ahead and take the one and only – from KC Mo, not technically, but plays for him or did Chad Henney. Chad Henney Hennessy. I'm taking I'm taking the Hennessy quarterback. I'm taking Chad Henney. Uh when Patrick Mahomes went down, he was serviceable. He won got a the job done. Yeah, he did. Uh was it against the Packers? It was against the Browns. The Browns Baker Mayfield, good actually. Yes. Hey, good enough. I'm taking Chad Henney. Um He's not only because on of his 
Chad Henney is a legend on this show. We subscribe to the Chad Henney Hennessy. Exactly. So I will take him and um, I'll, I'll let that be. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, nothing else in my mind is going to change it. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got the Henny last name and he's won games and he's been very serviceable. So I will take Chad Henny. All right, Bo, your final two picks. All right. So what do we know about my football fandom? We know I'm a Saints fan. No, I'm an LSU guy. And I decided, you know, I can't have a team without having an LSU player. It's just not something that you can do. So I'm going to take a guy who's a backup quarterback in the NFL for a long time, collected some clipboard money, um, has the Packers record for most touchdowns in the game, and won a national title at LSU and a Super Bowl as a backup. And I'm going to take Matt Flynn. He had every opportunity to be a stunner, too. Yeah, he tried doing Seattle. It wasn't a good fit there. But that's okay. He, It's him, not, not Favre, not Rodgers, not Bart Starr, who has the, the Packers record for most touchdowns in a game for the Packers. And he right. won a national title LSU. So he got him. Yeah, I like that. Uh, good pick there. Your final pick, Bo. Uh, my final pick is I'm taking the best freaking athlete that anyone is going to take in this draft. This guy, no doubt, is the best overall athlete and, and not the best quarterback. There's been other great quarterbacks chosen, but there's nobody chosen. It's a better athlete than Michael Vick. His stint as a backup wasn't very long, but he was a backup at one point. And I'm, and he was signed to be a backup. It wasn't one of those he was just a backup because of circumstance. He was brought in as a backup at the end of his career. Right. Give me the best athlete. He might be the most athletic quarterback of all time. Okay. Michael Vick. Uh, with Tom. six different categories, six different types of quarterbacks. Tom, your final pick. I'm going with one of Jones' favorite quarterbacks of all time, maybe one of the most hashtag elite quarterbacks of all time and current backup, Joe Flacco. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's backing up old mom banger, Zach Wilson, right now. So uh, if, if Zach gets trapped with a mom, Joe's going to be ready to go. Yeah, he, he gets the second mom. He, you know, he's – he's Probably seconds. He's he's an elite backup and he's an elite wingman. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, Joe Joe Flacco's wife is probably saying, well, "Which of my friends need to hook up?" <laughs> like an episode of Sex in the City. <laughs> yep. My last one. Um, we talk about creativity here. This guy was listed as a backup quarterback. But he was an athlete. He did throw touchdown passes in the NFL. Um, I'm going with Antoine Randall-L. Oh, shit. Uh, Super Bowl champion with the, uh, with the Steelers. Uh, you know, he was a, a quarterback in college. And the Steelers had him as their – listed as their fourth-string quarterback, I believe. And they used him in a variety of ways and – 
he had that touchdown pass in a Super Bowl, too. That was awesome. I'm going with uh, Antoine Rendell for my final pick there. Tom, you like that pick. I do. That's That might be one of your heroes growing up. I liked Antoine Rendell. I did. He was, a, he, was so, he was so good. He's a great athlete. He was a really good quarterback in college. Yeah. He Jones, was, really was that your – was that your, I, I guess at the time, maybe eighth grade hero? Uh, I liked Antoine Rendell. Um, he was up there for sure. But here are the final teams. Here's how the, the, the draft ended up shaking out. Um, I ended up with Dan Orlovsky, Alex Moran, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Jeff Hostetler, and Antoine Rendell. Tom ended up with Tom Brady, Kurt Warner, Roger Staubach, Nick Foles, Chad Henney, and Joe Flacco. Bo ended up with Steve Young, Chase Daniel, Doug Williams, Stephen Willie Beeman, now a Jones Report Hall of Fame member, Matt Flynn, and Michael Vick. Bo, what's your reaction to the teams? Well, we all have our own way of doing things here. I think that we've seen that. Tom has the best group of quarterbacks. The quarterback room in Tom's room is really strong. Um, you know, I mean, you got Brady, you got Staubach, you got Warner. You got two guys that are supposed to be in the Hall of Fame and one that shouldn't be. Um, you can decide for yourself which one shouldn't be. I have my opinions. Oh, yeah. You, and, get, you get Tom a little pissed on that one. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about Kurt Warner. Oh, I'm definitely talking about Kurt Warner. Well, that's too damn bad. You're going after, <laughs> all, you're going after all of Tom's heroes tonight. And then uh, – you know, he, he chose six traditional quarter, quarterbacks. He, he has the best room. Lawrence and open a can of wool pass. <laughs> How about my team and your team, Bo? Um, you know, your team is one of those. So you inspired me when you did the pick because I was trying to think of a sixth category. And when you went fictional star, that gave me the idea of a fictional star. And you take a quarterback, you got to take the best one. Uh, so I do it there, but I, um, you know, I think that you and Tom had the same strategy a little bit too on also taking the best quarterback, you know, not the guy who was like supposed to be a backup, you know, like Rogers and Mahomes weren't really drafted to be backups. They just happened to be because of circumstance. Right. Um, you know, same thing with, with Staubach. Now Warner and Brady were backups and they were meant to be backups. Yeah. Dan Orlovsky, meant to be a backup. Yeah. Um, you know, Hosteller's a backup. Antoine Randall wasn't really a quarterback in the NFL, but we'll let you get it. We'll decide on that. Um, you know, you, you're the one of your fictional one was good. I just went six categories and had fun with it. I don't think I'm going to win. Like I said, I think Tom wins here if you're looking at who has the best room of quarterbacks. Okay. Uh, Tom, what was your thoughts on the draft? I wish I would have come up with a fictional quarterback because I appreciate those. Um, I was very shocked you didn't take Tom Brady first overall, especially since you took Mahomes later on. Had you paired up Mahomes with Brady, I think you're an automatic winner. I feel like once Brady went off the board, I'm like, okay, I got to get some real quarterbacks then. I agree with that. I had no choice but to find some balance uh, on this team. But nonetheless, a uh, very fascinating draft uh, this week here at the Jones Report Bowl. Um, 
the undrafted free agents. Let's go over those uh, real quick. Um, on the movie scene, uh, Shane Falco comes to mind for the replacement. Yeah. He, he, this may have been his only opportunity to be a two-time draft selectee, so he won't make the Hall of Fame probably this year of the Jones. No. Shane Falco and Sunshine from uh, Remember the Titans. I almost took Sunshine from Remember the Titans. Well, I thought that's Ronnie Bass. Wasn't Ronnie Bass the starter, the the guy who was the quarterback? I get them mixed up. I just know Sunshine's a long hair kid. I thought I thought I broke it up. Don. You may be right. I, I don't know for certain. That's why I didn't take them. Because I was like, damn. I thought that I can't remember who was the, the quarterback before Ronnie Bass came in, but when Ronnie Bass guy. when Ronnie Bass came in from Cali, he kind of took over the job. Another one of the it undrafted. was Ronnie Bell. You're right, but the other no, the other kid was the quarterback until he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Another undrafted free agent that came to mind for me, Bo, was the definition of journeyman in the NFL: um, Ryan Fitzpatrick or the McCown yeah. brothers. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick would have been a really good choice too. I think that would have been a really good choice. I I chose to go Chase Daniel, but Ryan Fitzpatrick's a I mean, how many teams did Ryan Fitzpatrick play for? Twelve, I believe. Yeah, it's like a dozen teams. Could you have I mean, taken? Would we have allowed somebody to take the McCown brothers as one pick? Like, is it like the Hanson brothers in hockey? And yeah, I, guess. <laughs> I almost took Brian Hoyer. <laughs> oh, is that not the whitest name ever, too, Brian Hoyer? Oh, 100%. What's wrong with being a Brian? Just super it's, it's a very white name. Hoyer. Yeah. Uh, Why is O'Connor? <laughs> uh, Brian O'Connor is a very white name. I will give you that. And I was Brian O'Connor long before those <laughs> Fast and the Furious movies came out. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, I hear that shit all the time. Uh, good draft, boys. Good work this week. Thank we'll you. Uh, do it all again here in a couple of weeks here on the Jones Report. Bo, appreciate, appreciate the time as always. We'll uh, yeah. catch up with you. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you next week. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go ahead and continue the discussion on the Open Championship. We talked about a little bit with Riley Gates early on in the show, but I want to dive a little more in depth now. And, you know, it's interesting to me that you have the, these live golfers and this battle royale of sorts with the PGA Tour. And now that it's, it's taking federal action, you know, the feds are now investigating the PGA Tour. And then on top of that, this weekend, you're you're at the Open Championship where these live golfers are still eligible, still competing. Greg Norman was not invited to be a part of the ceremonies. They didn't want him to be a distraction. The head of live golf and former uh, Open champion. But nonetheless, with this all glooming here, I wonder, and Riley brought it up too, Tom, is this going to be the last major 
that we see of these live golfers? Is this it? I don't think so. I think that eventually this will get worked out and that will come to a middle ground of some sorts where live golfers can play PGA Tour events and we'll see golfers viewed as private contractors. But this thing's getting ugly. I mean, it's been, what, two months now of this whole back and forth between the PGA and live and the PGA hasn't backed out at all. They haven't given an inch so far at this point. Um, I mean, I, I don't think so, but I'm not ruling it out that this very well could be the last time we see Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, some of the Brooks Kepka, Bryce DeChambeau uh, in a major championship event. That's not out of the question. This might be the last time we see them in a major championship for a while. Yeah, maybe. I don't, it's going to be very interesting to see how that's going to work, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what is going to happen in terms of, I don't know, you know, the PGA has already come off with bans and, you know, what did they mention at the beginning? They said if you get banned for this specific thing of, of essentially playing Brutus to Caesar, you know, E2 Brutus, stabbing the PGA in the back that they won't let you back. I don't know. I mean, you know, Brooks Kepko left. Is that the last major domino to fall? No, I think there's more coming. I think there's you more know, on the way. As long Tiger as the money is still there. I think yeah. Tiger had a statement today, actually. And I didn't read it yet, but I know he had a statement. I'm assuming it was kind of against Liv just a wee bit, I would imagine. Um, you know, I, I did think when they announced that Brooks Cup, his brother was going to play and we talked about him, uh, that he was essentially trash. Um, but I thought that when he, when that was announced that maybe Brooks Kepka would go, but at first I did think it would be like a Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Rory kind of trio and, kind of going forward as maybe spokesman for the for the PGA or their major players. You know, Tiger, sure, maybe, I don't know, seven years ago uh, when he when he could actually make the cut for the PGA championship. But, you know, you don't you don't know. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it, Jones, and, and agree with me, if you will, or don't. Um, I, I think the biggest player in all of this, and I, and if I was a betting person, I would say he's staying in the PGA is JT, Justin Thomas. If he was, if he was to leave, Justin Thomas was to leave and go to live. It's over for the freaking PGA. It's done. That's the, that's the nail waiting to get hammered either way. I think the nail, I, I agree with a lot. You just said, but I don't think Justin Thomas is that nail. I think Rory would be that nail. Because Rory has been the outspoken face of the PGA Tour in all this and taken the fight directly to live, um, if he goes to live, then that's the final domino to fall. Here's what I think. The outcome when it's all said and done, this might be six months from now, this might be five years from now. But I think at the end of the day, the outcome that's going to finish in all this is that the PGA Tour – is not going to want to deal with the feds like they're already doing. 
They want to. They want to slow that down. They want to get out in trouble with the feds, and they want to stay as relevant as possible. I think their money's going to go up, and you're going to see courts rule that these golfers are independent contractors. And I think that what you're going to see is that guys are going to play on both the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. Uh, we've already seen Live say that they're encouraging guys to play on both tours. But to, if, hey, if that's the case, does the PGA have another choice? Like if you can make if you can make that money, go make that money. I mean, this is very in in my eyes, very super like the NIL deals. Yeah, this feels think, super college football. Yes, I think what what the end result is. Take a guy, let's say Brooks Kepka, who you brought up. I think Brooks looks at his schedule and he's got it locked in of the live events. And when he's not playing live, he plays the PGA tour events he wants to, and he plays the majors and he creates his own schedule as a golfer. Essentially. I think that's what you end up doing when this is all said and done. I think that's the end game. I don't know how long so, it takes to get to that end game, but I think that's the end result here when it's all said and done, that guys will pick and choose between the two tours of what events they do. Okay, so how do you I'm, – I'm more interested – well, I'm not more interested, but I, I'm still wondering how do you feel about it in terms – we've talked about NIL deals for college players. I'm more power to the players, right? This is a little bit different in terms that these players are already making hella money. How do you feel in terms of going to get the bag for these PGA players? I'm kind of indifferent, to be honest with you. I'm a little indifferent. Um, you know, like when, when NIL first came out, I was more so like, yo, go get that money for these guys. It's like, you know, can you have the best of both worlds, which is what is trying to happen right now? Right. I think that you look at the PGA tour and it could be so much better of a product than it is because um, of competition. I do think this competition is going to make the PGA Tour better at the end of the day because I agree. It, you know, Tom, you and I are, are casual golf fans. We'll watch majors. Um, we'll pay attention, especially on Sunday. Yeah, we, we, we watch Sunday majors and we play like shit on the weekday. Right. I could not give a damn about the Farmers Open or never. Not unless it was in my hometown. Not right. unless it was the city I lived in. Don't care. Don't care one bit. And so if guys want to play and live, if they want to play the PGA Tour, quite frankly, it does not matter to me. What you have to have happen, whether it's live or the PGA Tour, I think the end goal for either tour needs to find a way to make it must-see TV. Find a way to draw me in. Why should I care about your regular season event? Um. And I think that eventually, and I don't know what the timetable will be, we will get to that point where one of these two tours is going to find a way to make their events appointment television. That, I think, is the end game here. When it's all said and done is that guys are going to be allowed to play on both, but the goal for both of these leagues needs to be find a way to make an appointment television. And both of them, quite frankly, are far from that right now. Oh, yeah, of course they are. And, you know, I'll uh, specifically because it's new, I'll watch live or I'll check it out um, to see what they're about. But 
you know, from a neutral standpoint, I, I think a little competition is good. You know, the PGA has had monopoly, monopoly on it for so long that even if the ratings went to shit or if it just was a bad product, then they, there's no consequences there. And I'm not saying consequences like a legal action, but consequences in terms of viewership right. or, you know, not putting a good product out there just because the avid fans will still watch. I, I, I think the PGA obviously does not want live to happen. And that's why, you know, at first we saw the, the hardcore bands or the hardcore. Well, if you betray us, then we will ban you from everything except the masters because we can't control it. You know, all that BS. Um, other than that, I, I, you know, obviously, like I said before, the PGA does not want this because they don't want to put any more effort in. I don't blame them. They don't want don't to put any more effort. They don't want to put any more money. All those things there, it will cost They, they were more. sitting high for a long time until somebody came through and said, oh, yeah, we'll step your fucking game up. Right. Right. 100%. Um, and with that, this weekend, you know, I think Liv is another storyline in all this. I think Tiger's return uh, is a big deal. We didn't see him in the U.S. Open. The last time we saw him was – looking really bad at the PGA in Tulsa. That was not a good outing for Tiger. Um, he made the cut, but he was he was sore. He was hurting. So I think this weekend we're going to see competitive golf. All three majors have been fantastic this year. Don't expect anything different. St. Andrews is a classic course. This might be the last time we ever see Tiger play St. Andrews. Um I think your your typical suspects, your Scotty Shefflers, who's been really good this year. Um, you know, the the likes of Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, um, you know, Zaltoris, those guys are gonna be contention. I think it's gonna be one of your one of your big names will get it done on Sunday and walk away with this. And I lean towards Scotty Scheffler, who's been consistent throughout this year and was really good with that that win in the Masters. To me, he, he's kind of my pick. I, I'm leaning towards Scotty Scheffler to get another major, and that's not uncommon. We've, we've seen guys before win two majors in a year, and Scotty Scheffler's as good as anybody on the planet right now. That's who I'm leaning towards uh, to get this done on Sunday, Tom. No, I can see that, too. You know, to go counterculture or maybe a little bit different than you. I wouldn't call it maybe quite counterculture. I'll go with Zal Torres to finally get it done. To finally get it done. He's is he's been on the very cusp. I'm tempted just to put a bet down on him finishing second. I feel like I'd catch it. No, I mean, he, I mean that should be greater odds than first. Like you know, like betting second, like for him to get second, you should get more money than you would if you bet him for first. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure he's very frustrated with that. I would be. Uh, and if I was a big Zal Stores fan, God, I would be frustrated with that. But he's, it's, he's almost got the, he's got almost got like a Bambino curse at this point. I don't, I don't know who he sold out at the beginning of his career. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, though, if you can finish second uh, and, you know, every other event, and even if you never win, you're still going to make a living better than you and I will ever have. Yeah. And to make even matters worse on that, too, for South Taurus, Tom, 
we were talking about the PGA Tour earlier. Sal Torres not only keeps finishing second in these majors, he hasn't even won a PGA Tour event yet. I mean, the guy's like, his day's going to be coming soon. Eventually, he's got to win something. I mean, his, his, his clutch gene is out the window. Um, you know, if, if, if he was looking to have a kid, he'd have to, he'd have to have a, <laughs> he'd have to have an NP about 400 times before oh. he might have <laughs> <laughs> Urban Dictionary, that one, folks. I had to teach Thomas what an NP was before the show. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. On that note, let's go ahead and move on. Our final segment of the show this week, our Tom Fullery story of the week, where Thomas Bridges takes us to somewhere where ridiculousness is happening. Tom, where are we going to do this time? Jones, we've uh, we've been all over the world here recently. Um, and this is not a Colorado, or sorry, this is not a Florida story. It's not a Florida man story. Rather, this is a Colorado story, Jones. And uh, I will be in Colorado DJing a wedding here very shortly. Um, and I just have to make sure that I don't get any organs stolen. I also have to make sure if, if I die that I make it back in one piece or at least in complete ashes. Um, this comes from Oxygen True, True Crime. Uh, but it's been reported on several outlets. Um, and this comes, this is, this is uh, early this week, la- late last week. Colorado Colorado funeral home operator pleads guilty to selling human corpses and their body parts for $1.2 million. Jones, we've had this story before. Not this specific funeral home, not this specific person, but we have had this. This is a business. This is a black market business in the United States, and we've seen this before. This has happened. Um, and we go straight to Colorado with Megan Hess, the director at Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation, admitted that she sold human bodies and body parts belonging to at least 560 deceased victims for profit. A Got former it. Colorado. Yeah, that's a lot. I would, you know, when I first seen this story, I was thinking, OK, maybe she sold maybe like 20 people. Uh, no. Uh, she sold the whole population of uh, Copan, Oklahoma. Um, a former Colorado funeral home operator pleaded guilty this week to stealing and selling human remains and body parts that were intended for cremation. Um, at least that's what a federal prosecutor said. Megan Hess, 45, admitted to a single count of mail. <laughs> she only gets mail fraud and aiding and abetting the Department of Justice. Um Hess, who operated Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors in Montrose, Colorado, along with her mother, Shirley Cox, were formally indicted in 2020. Between 2010 and 2018, Hess engaged in a scheme illegally sell body parts and human corpses without the consent of the deceased people's grieving families who would entrust their funeral parlor with the remains of their loved ones, according to this copy, according to the copy of this week's plea agreement. Prosecutors suspect the corpse trafficking plot stretches back to 09 when Hess first organized Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit corporation that acted as a body broker. Oh, that sounds terrible. A body broker service and operated out of a funeral home. 
The purpose of the nonprofit body broker was to harvest human remains, such as heads, torsos, arms, legs, and entire human bodies, and market them for sale to customers who use the remains for scientific, medical, or educational purposes. The organization uh, provided assistance to community members who have no resources for funeral-slash-cremation services. Prosecutors say, however, Hess frequently met with families seeking cremation for deceased relatives, often charging around $1,000 and up for cremation services. Indeed, the income derived from donor services allowed the defendant to advertise rates for cremations that typically typically made SMFD the least expensive option in the area, which, okay, give me a second. That was the... Uh, the actual Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation that threw me off for a second. Um, as a result, the defendant was able to ensure a constantly supply of bodies for her scheme, as promised to deliver the cremains back to the victim's family. But since many of the cremations they were contracted to perform never occurred, neither did the return of people's loved ones' remains. Hess also delivered cremains to families with the representation that the cremains were that of the deceased, when frequently that was not the case. Instead, Fed investigators say Hess routinely harvested body parts and prepared entire corpses for the purposes of being sold through their body broker service. Hess allegedly also, allegedly also routinely never obtained, in some cases never even requested, authorization from the family to harvest remains for donation. In at least a dozen of instances, Hess did not follow family wishes and neither discuss nor obtain authorization for donor services to transfer descendants' bodies or body parts to third parties. In a small number of cases, descendants' families agreed to donation after agreeing to terms laid out by Hess, which prosecutors allege were fraudulent. Jones if your loved ones, parents, girlfriend, family, NP, um, <laughs> died and, and you were to take them to a, a funeral home and later on you found out that, yo, listen, uh, old girl was not cremated and they gave you some random ashes of, I don't know, maybe a raccoon that they had found and put in the cremation chamber I, I don't know what that's called um and you got the ashes and then later on you found out they were not your loved one's ashes i'm suing for a gazillion dollars oh 100 absolutely i don't think you have a choice but to sue tom i don't know about you i feel so weird about cremation like i don't want my loved one's dead ashes in my living room or on the mantle or anything like that. I'm not judging anyone that does either. You know, everybody is different. Live your lives however you wish. But I do not want, like, the ghost of my grandma or whoever just, like, hanging out around there. I'm, I'm good. Like, put them in the ground. Full body. I don't care. Even if you create them, just put them in the ground. I, I, I'm good. You know, my dad's dad was cremated, and I feel like we had his ashes for a little bit, but it was until we could like secure the burial plot that they finally went out and buried the urn um, in that burial plot. Um, for what it's worth, don't put me in a casket. Um, 
you know, I, it's super expensive for that. And I don't want to be a burden on anybody. Cremate me. And then, like, put me in a bottle of Maker's Mark or something and talk. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've literally told my parents this. If I accidentally die in a car wreck or something happens to me, uh, I've told my siblings this, too. I said, if something happens to me before y'all die, do not spend the money. For one, I'll, and I'll say this live on the show, I've taken out... And, and I should have maybe went through Bo, but my work provides um, a, a decent discount on life insurance. I have like $650,000 in life insurance. So if something was going to happen to me, and this is not for any of you listening to come find me and kill me and, and try to scam your way into my life insurance beneficiaries. But if something was going to happen to me, let's say tomorrow... Um, and I get in a car, I can die. Uh, dad's getting a couple new boats. Um, don't spend that extra money to bury me in a casket. I've already told everybody that I'm fairly, I'm not even 30 yet, but I've made it very clear. Do not do that. Do not waste that money on me. I would rather you waste that money on a good liquor store trip and a good grocery store trip to have a, just an absolute banger of a party as a celebration of life uh go out and get all the brisket all you know go out and smoke a bunch of meat get a bunch of liquor, like get a bunch of beer and have a hell of a party when you die tom i think that's how you'd want it to be you don't even want a funeral like you want people to party in, in your honor the way you would want to go out exactly and then party you, know, you could take, not have for yourself money, take that money and then get everybody an uber home um there should be plenty of it you know, get get give me a smoked brisket. Give me like, I don't know, seventy five pounds of pulled pork, a uh, hundred pounds of brisket. Uh, smoke a couple bolognese, um, and then just get all the liquor that the liquor store lets you buy, and then and then have the most you know banger obscene party of all time. That's that's what I want. Um, so if the life insurance policy comes through at that time, if, if I unfortunately die at a younger age of maybe some crazy accident, then yeah, have a banger of a party. Um, my, my thoughts on a funeral for myself are the same ideals that I have for a wedding for myself. I'm not going to spend a banger of amount of money on a wedding. I will spend a banger of a money amount of money on a honeymoon and disappear for a month or two. Um, you know, and if anybody wants to celebrate it, then they can come to maybe one of my karaoke events and I'll buy them a shot. But um, as far as the funeral goes, like I said, if it happens to me, I would rather people spend that money or my family or beneficiaries spend that money um, on just a hell of a party. At this party, there has to be karaoke, right? Oh, of course there would be. I would, I would hope I would, I, you know, at this point, if I died this young, I would hope they would name Angelo's the place where I've done karaoke for like seven years. I would hope that if it was ever bought out, they would, they would call it Thomas's Tavern. I would hope they would change the name. They would, and you know, maybe they wouldn't. Um, but I hope they would. I'm not planning on dying though. So just for everybody else, I'm not planning on dying. You have thought about death and what would happen a lot uh, after it a lot more than I have. Well, no, when you get this age, you got to buy life insurance while it's cheap because you got to lock in that rate. 
Right. I got life insurance through Bo. O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, O-H-E-K-S.com. <laughs> there you go. I got a lock in that rate. And I hope everybody else close around me that would include me as a beneficiary would also include me in that rate. Dad always said, you know, Tom, if you get rich, you know, old dad needs a new pair of shoes and a boat. And I'm like, listen, Johnny, if, uh, if Tom happens to pass early, uh, you'll get that boat. I've already, you know, and, and I've had, I've not made a an actual will, um, but in my life insurance policies that I had to go through through the application, I since I, I literally, I'm not kidding, allotted 250 grand of that 650 if I die before my parents to give to my dad for a boat and a boat slip. I'm not kidding. That's great. This uh, this Tom Fullery this week took an interesting turn, going from this story about ashes to what's going to happen if Tom dies. God forbid. I mean, Jones, man, I might give you some money too. Uh, I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, I might. You know, you and I might do. I might. I might pay for season tickets to uh, Oklahoma State football for the next 15 years after I die. I would just so, just so you can watch him beat the fuck out of Kansas every other year. And I would continue your tradition of uh, drinking uh, bullet, bullet. kickoff. I would hope so. I would really I'd hope so. To. I would. I would. Dr. I Pepper, would find right? my good graces upon you if that happened. Bullet with Dr Pepper, right? Bullet with Coke. It's okay. only makers with Dr Pepper. Close okay. though. I wouldn't. I wouldn't shun you um, from the I might good have graces. To switch of- that to Dr Pepper. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't shun you for the from the good graces of the afterlife if you decided to do Dr Pepper with bullets instead of Coke. On that note, we will get out of here. Big thanks to Riley Gates for joining us, Bo O'Connor, Thomas Bridges, our entire crew. As always, follow the show on social media: Facebook.com/slash Tyler Jones Live, Facebook.com/slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at Studio underscore Soapbox. And also on Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas. You can find us there. We are off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks. So we will see you then. I'm off to Phoenix doing a gig for Espen. So certainly excited about that. I'll have more details on my social media in the next coming days, what's going on exactly there. And, uh, Tom, when we uh, come back, we will begin – what I believe is now year 11 of this show. So <laughs> enjoy our next couple of weeks off and we'll get back in the saddle and hit hard as we get closer to football season here. We're going to have a great time. I will be off for two weeks. I will be DJing a wedding in Winter Park, Colorado, but I will see you all in three weeks with hopefully a hell of a story. It'll be a lot of fun. We will see you all right back here in a couple of weeks here at the Jones Report. Thanks for joining us.